Episode 147, recorded Saturday the 7th of September 2013, Green Lantern. This is the first of several planned episodes, each designed to introduce newcomers to key members of the Justice League in the run-up to the long-awaited Avengers-style cinematic crossover event, which may probably happen within the next decade, most likely within the next four years. By now, you all know who Batman and Superman are, but what of the other leaguers? While we can't cover them all, we can definitely direct our attentions to The Flash, Wonder Woman, and Green Lantern along with the League itself, Young Justice, and fan favourite Green Arrow, plus a special episode dedicated to Superman and Batman in their adventures as a duet, as we look to the next movie on the horizon, which will, for the first time in a live-action big-screen event, combine the two. With me tonight are Matt Ramsey of Do Try This at Home. Hello. Sharon Shaw, also of Do Try This at Home. Good evening. Jerome McIntosh of Gonzo Planet. Good day, sir. And Alex Eading of Plaid Hat Games. Beware my power. Hello, Alex. Hello. You're a, a late addition to this one because we needed someone of supreme enthusiasm uh, towards Green Lantern, and you just sort of started blathering on Twitter. I was like, "What? Well, this guy seems to know his stuff." <laughs> there was gushing, yes. Yeah. Um, so, just, just before we carry on about Green Lantern, who are Plaid Hat Games? Uh, Plaid Hat Games is a board game company uh, based out of the U.S., more specifically in Ohio, my home state, uh, and we. I'm I'm a freelance employee for the Plaid Hat Games uh, company. I I actually am the podcast host and editor. Uh, so we release a weekly podcast, and uh, we have basically the opportunity to hang out and see, or at least communicate with each other, because we all live in different parts of the country. Uh, and it gives us a, a way to hang out. And the podcast is just something we record and, and publish while we're goofing off and talking about board game industry related stuff. Uh, as far as where any of that ties in with, uh, with Gonzo, with the, the Gonzo Planet universe, I would say we even have a little bit of a connection because of the Bioshock episodes that you recently released. Mm-hmm. And we have just released our latest board game, oh, which yeah. is Bioshock Infinite, The Siege of Columbia. Ah. If Which, you Google uh, Plaid Hat Games, you can immediately find their site and check check out the games section, and that will give you absolutely you know access to all of the uh, stuff that you guys have already done. Yeah, there's all kinds of good stuff on there, and if you want to hear me talk more about board game stuff, you can follow us on the podcast link that's on there too. I'm fairly certainly going to get a few followers from just being on this episode. If you keep up the enthusiasm that you uh, supplied us with earlier. Okay, there will also be several essays from various contributors along the way. I think I'm going to put yours in anyway, Alex, because it was okay. such a great little primer. These shows will be released sporadically, so the uh, Wonder Woman one, the Flash one, rather than in a concentrated sequence because of the sheer volume of TV and comics connected with these characters. Uh, we went with Green Lantern first because he's the first superhero that Warner Brothers had the guts to give his own proper movie, Who Wasn't the Kryptonian?, or the bat. The following films do not count. Supergirl, Swamp Thing, Steel, Catwoman, Jonah Hex, and anything animated that somehow got a theatrical release. What we're talking about here 
are not lone misadventures. They are the building blocks of the DC cinematic universe, of which it appears Man of Steel is the Iron Man analogue, as in the first of many. Now, considering the middling box office and equally boneless critical acclaim that the 2011 Green Lantern movie received, it's almost certain that this movie won't be included in the upcoming chronology. But we're going to talk about it all the same now, along with various animated lanterns, the comics, and I will say right now, the absolutely superb Green Lantern, the animated series, which ran for one season. This is, without a word of hyperbole, second only to Avatar on my list of favourite animated shows for something dismissed by me as being too kiddie and something that I just picked up for this podcast to boost my research. This has been the most wonderful surprise of 2013 for me. More on that later. To anyone else unsure of whether they should stick around for this seemingly boring character, ask yourself three things. A. Do you like Star Wars? B. Do you like Star Trek? And C. Do you like Mass Effect? If the answer to at least two of these is yes, then stick around. Bear with me. I would even venture to add a D in there Mm -hmm. if you like Lord of the Rings. Because there is, while it's not science fiction, there is a lot of lore and beautiful qualities that the the Lantern universe has. You know, I'm going to go with that. Actually, from what I've read, um, yeah, okay, if you like Lord of the Rings, this may be slightly out of left field compared to the other three space operas, but yeah, you're right, there is a, uh, a history to the, uh, the Green Lantern universe, one that, I, can, you can tell us right now, how much of that history has been basically obliterated as of 2011 with New 52? Uh, yeah, honestly, the New 52, I don't think has really switched or obliterated much no. of any history, at least as far as the Green Lantern goes. Mm. A lot of it's still intact. It's just they've sort of worked around it to make more more sense in context to what's going on now. There's, right. Yeah, there's tweaks, there's twists, there's a little bit, but they didn't wipe anything. Right, so it's more like uh, the Batman chronology. It still happened, just in a slightly yeah. different order, and you know the, the key events will still be there, and perhaps explored again later with slight tweaks, like, like they're doing the Batman Year Zero. Yeah. Which is a, a riff on uh, year one. Okay. Mm. Um, before the history, how to repel newcomers from Green Lantern by Andy Rodriguez. <laughs> Green Lantern, the man without fear until you ask Marvel. He has one of the most varied histories in comics that does not involve constantly rebooting the character, uh, aka Anna Hawkman, with his closest familiar in that regard being the Flash, who share more connections than I'll touch on later. In Green Lantern's time, we've seen six men from Earth take the handle. Alan Scott, Hal Jordan, Guy Gardner, John Stewart, Kyle Rayner, and the newest member, Simon Baz, with a foreshadowed new female member, Jessica Cruz. To say that this may be daunting to a newcomer is an understatement, but this confusion does not end yet. The Green Lanterns are part of a space police force called the Green Lantern Corps, which are governed by the Owen species, which have named themselves the Guardians of the Universe. The confusion that comes from this? Alan Scott is not a Green Lantern Corps member. Rather, he was part of the original DC continuity of Earth 2, where he survived a train wreck that killed everyone else on the train, but a magic Green Lantern used his power to save his life. The Lantern's magic power was then retconned into the DC continuity, where it was actually the original Earth's Green Lantern Lantern, who was a man from ancient China, whose lantern was left behind on Earth and was mutated in that time on Earth to become, a dis- to become disconnected from the core. <laughs> <laughs> that confusing enough for you? Well, that's just the tip of this glowy green iceberg. <laughs> you see, in 1959, Green Lantern was rebooted with the creation of Hal Jordan, <clears throat> a spacefaring member of the Green Lantern Corps. 
This is where I come back to The Flash. Green Lantern and The Flash were both characters made in the original set of superheroes in the late 30s and 40s. Back then, the heroes were commonly magic-based or pulp-like action heroes. See Captain Marvel, Zatara, Wonder Woman, Batman, Vigilante, The Phantom, Captain America. With rare exception, the original Flash, whose powers derived from falling asleep during a science experiment. Both the Flash <laughs> Not recommended, folks. <laughs> <laughs> Both The Flash and Green Lantern were rebooted in the tail end of the 50s into more science-based characters, with the new ring-slinger Hal getting a ring from an alien, and The Flash, well, he still had a science experiment origin, but now he spouted Flash facts, little descriptions using science to explain how he did whatever special trick to defeat the villain that day. <laughs> Flash and Green Lantern later became DC's second super duo after Superman and Batman. Okay, a brief history of Green Lantern. The first Green Lantern was named Anyone? Uh, Alan Scott. Scott. Alan Scott. Alan Scott. First appearing in comic books written by Martin Nodell in 1940. This was shortly after Batman and Superman and this magically powered being in a red top and green cape had just over a decade worth of adventures until, like Captain America, he was retired as the interest in superhero comics switched to westerns in the 1950s. However, as any Toy Story fan will tell you, sci-fi eventually deposed cowboys, and in 1959, Julius Schwartz, along with Gil Kane and John Broom, invented a second Green Lantern named... Hal Jordan. Hal Jordan. Hal Jordan, redesigned as a spacefaring policeman. While Batman, Superman and Wonder Woman have always been Bruce, Clark and Diana, with their origins reset every few decades to keep continuity fresh, Green Lantern shares with The Flash a lineage of multiple heroes taking on the role of the Scarlet Speedster and the Emerald Knight. Alan Scott eventually found his way into Hal Jordan's comics as a Green Lantern from a parallel dimension. For the period post-crisis in the early 80s and up to the New 52, which changed everything again, Alan Scott was written back into continuity as a supremely long-lived, old-timey action hero and predecessor of Hal Jordan, although he retained his magical abilities. As of New 52, he is a young hero living in a different world again. Don't know much about New 52, Green Lantern, Alan Scott. Anyone? Nope. No, me neither. <laughs> I think he's gay. I think that's all I know. Oh, right. I heard that they made him yeah. officially, openly out of the closet. Oh, cool. Okay. Hal Jordan, however, is the lantern we are going to focus on tonight. Painfully heterosexual that he is. In a career spanning <laughs> 54 years, he has cemented himself. He's like Kirk. Seriously, sniffing any skirt he possibly can. Serious case of the not gays. Yeah, in a, in a career spanning 54 years, he has cemented himself as, if not the original, then the best and most beloved Green Lantern. In the simplest terms for the newcomer that we can muster, here is what you really need to know about Green Lantern. I have written down 10 facts. Hal Jordan is a hotshot test pilot. He has issues with authority. One day, an alien spaceship crashes nearby, and Hal discovers a dying alien. The alien gives him a green ring and a literal green lantern. The ring is a device that turns its wearer's imagination into hard light constructs. For example, wearing one of these rings, you can imagine a massive sword, a machine gun, or a sailboat, and a green version of that would emerge from the ring to be used by you for as long as your focus maintains and the power of the ring lasts. The ring has a finite energy supply and must be recharged by contact with the lantern, which is effectively a mobile power battery, but you can leave that in your closet if you like. On receiving these items, Hal is transported to a citadel-style planet named Oa, located through a wormhole close to Earth. 
On this planet are approximately 7,200 other Green Lanterns. Each is a member of the Green Lantern Corps. There are two representatives for each of the 3,600 sectors of known space. All of them would be aliens to us, as Hal was the first person from Earth to join the Corps. On the planet is an enormous lantern that acts as a power base for the entire Corps. This green light is the literal embodiment of the collected will of every species in the universe. The rings the Corps use are powered by and thus dispense that will. They are presided over by the Guardians, a governing body of a dozen or so immensely old, tiny blue granddads. These beings can only see the history of the universe over an immensely long time scale, so they come off as very cold to the immediate suffering of others. It is thus up to their core to deal with both short-term issues in their sectors and the greater reality-threatening Reaper-style doomsday scenarios. Finding a balance between the two is where the core interesting features of the Green Lantern stories lie. Now, fact check there. Is any of that incorrect? I don't think so. I think uh, I think that's all pretty close. Okay. Yeah. Um, except for the power battery, I think now it's uh, energy being called ion that's inside of it, and that's where all the power comes from. True. Oh. I and I imagine we might dive into there when we start talking about parallax too. Yeah. 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 This will all come back to mm-hmm. like what they retcon for the new to make everything make sense. At its core, the ongoing saga is about how men and women cope with fear. Would that be true? Yes. Yes. The fact that each lantern, unlike Superman, doesn't have infinite power, and in fact has to choose how much to use each time, makes the application of their powers, when done right, a source of tension. In effect, there is an element of fear in simply using this power. For the first four decades or so, as silly as it sounds, the only weakness that Green Lanterns had was... The, the color, color yellow. yellow. The color yellow. yellow. <laughs> this was a rid- wood. <laughs> oh, and wood. Mm. Okay. Um, <laughs> I know, I know. We'll get yeah, there. <laughs> This was originally a narrative structure to give them a more common kryptonite. Later it was explained that in making the main power battery on Oa, the Guardians had to imbue it with a weakness to yellow. Later still, this became associated with the colour of fear, and an opposing, much smaller but very aggressive group named Sinestro Corps, started by an ex-Green Lantern, who wished to conduct control through fear rather than will. Right, now... Anybody want to explain how yellow could be employed to stymie a Green Lantern back in the day? If they wanted to um, create a construct, it physically wouldn't work on anything that was yellow. So if you wanted to, say, um, knock down a house and that house was painted yellow, you couldn't. Yep. Yep. Carry on. (laughs) It's unfortunate that that's all you really needed to do was have yellow armor on so you were safe from Green Lantern. How well known was this weakness? Like, you know, where, where every time Green Lantern faced a foe, was it someone who was like, "Yes, I know all about your weakness to yellow, Green Lantern," or was it something you kept, they kept under their hats? I want to say, I want to say, I've seen while I haven't read much of the um, the pre Jeff Johns era of Green Lantern. Jeff Johns is the current author, uh, the writer of the Green Lantern series. Um, but I remember seeing lots of covers of old Green Lantern comics. In, you know, the, from the 90s maybe, where he was being menaced by people who were either had, I, I have just one picture vividly in my mind is of three 
construction looking workers mm. with yellow jackhammers threatening the Green Lantern. Nice. So basically, the peanut butter jelly time banana could strike fear into his heart. <laughs> yep. Super Ted? Is he yellow? Is he orange? He has yellow on his costume. Sporty man, though. Sporty was yellow, yeah. <laughs> but why would Super Ted and Sporty be fighting Green Lanterns? Because they're good. Uh, that is a good idea. Fan fiction, we need to know. <laughs> no, no, we don't. Okay, well, <laughs> no, we don't. <laughs> like well-known yellow yellow characters that actually might um, menace Green Lantern. SpongeBob would give him trouble. Yep. Okay. <laughs> So, uh, now what, there's what, a throwdown I want to see, Frank. <laughs> <laughs> in uh, only old school Greenland, I'm assuming new school Greenland would probably be a bit, you know, more more capable of dealing with it. How, how have they gotten over this over the years? The ability to overcome great fear is what gives you your, you know, your calling as a lantern. It's how you are chosen. Hmm. So by getting past that fear. Uh, it is also kind of helping you overcome the yellow weakness, and we will be talking about that in greater detail. Yeah. Yellow, traditionally the color of urine, cowardice, and Lala, the shittest Teletubby. Uh, to explain <laughs> yellow, we have Who You Calling Yellow by Jamas Enright. Who Are You Calling Yellow? When I was much younger and often sick, my grandmother brought me comics, in particular Green Lantern comics. In one of the first comics I read, Green Lantern was held hostage by a man that had a golden outfit. This, of course, caused problems for Green Lantern because he couldn't affect anything with the colour yellow. <laughs> Which sounds odd when you say it out loud. At the time we accepted it, superheroes had flaws, had their one element that brought them to their knees. And this gave them a chance to show how brawn needed brains, and this is a great lesson. No matter what power you hold in your hands, you need to think to get around problems. How is that not a worthy idea? But the colour yellow... At least Superman had a whole substance that causing problems. But anyone could slap on the colour yellow and all of a sudden, bam, you can get around worrying about Green Lantern. Now, in some cases, the colour could be more easily motivated, such as the aforementioned Goldface. He liked gold, had golden skin, had a gold-covered cage to trap Green Lantern in. Stop me if I'm wrong. Wasn't Goldface the villain in Agent Michael Scarn, the script in the office? Oh, God, I think you're right. Was it really? <laughs> It sounds a bit racist by today's standards. (laughs) (laughs) (coughs) Now, in some cases, the colour could be more easily motivated, such as the aforementioned Goldface. He liked gold, had golden skin, had a gold-covered cage to trap Green Lantern in, and as gold just, just so happens to be yellow in tint, we have a credible problem for Green Lantern to overcome. On the other hand, some issues later, he fights Shark, a shark mutated to be humanoid because comics. But Shark has an invisible yellow shield around himself because that happens. And so he can't attack him. Sharks Stop can smell and indeed fear. <laughs> I'm so sorry, but... If you must go for, mute yourselves. All right, sorry. Um, where did I get to? Oh, yeah. But Shark has an invisible yellow shield around himself because that happens. And so Green Lantern can't attack him directly. And thus Shark is a credible threat. Honest. You believe that, right? But it is amazing just how often people the Green Lantern face just so happen to have some yellow theme to them. Unfortunately, Javelin uses yellow javelins. The demolition team crew has yellow construction equipment. At least the Yellow Peril, a skyjacking gang, dressed in yellow to deliberately take advantage of that disadvantage. And in some cases, Professor Zoom, the Flash's arch nemesis, could also menace the Green Lantern. He's all in yellow. <laughs> Professor yeah, they, they, 
Yeah, the bad guys should have had a, a hero swap, shouldn't they? Quite a few times. I don't, which is worse, Professor Zoom or the Reverse Flash? He goes by both names. I think Professor Zoom is more fifties. Um, so, but if you're going for camp, then go with Professor Zoom. I don't want to go with Professor Zoom. <laughs> <laughs> uh, carry on, Matt. Sorry. At least the Yellow Peril, a skyjacking gang dressed in yellow to deliberately take advantage of that disadvantage. In some cases, the villains were defeated because they weren't actually fought by Green Lantern, despite being in the Green Lantern comic. In other cases, Green Lantern could simply pick up a non-yellow item and use that to hit the yellow item. In one amusing example from the Green Lantern Corps, Breon of Sector 24 had to protect sentient trees on a planet with yellow sand, with his ring charge running out. Unfortunately, the harvester was yellow and was able to destroy anything thrown into it, except the indestructible power ring. Another example in an application of physics, while fighting some guardian children, Hal Jordan flew at near light speed so that his green power would be red-shifted to yellow by the time it hit. Oh, nice. Associated with all this is Sinestro, a Green Lantern that ran his sector by his own rules. He became odds with the more humanitarian Hal Jordan and ended up banished from the core. However, he wanted vengeance and sided with the weaponers of Quad from a parallel dimension who already had their own signature yellow weapons. Together they developed the Yellow Rings, and this nicely gave Green Lantern a reoccurring villain to fight that tied into the Green Lantern side, rather than the usual Earth-based menaces. Later, Sinestro would head his own Sinestro Corps. The color yellow became associated with fear, and the Sinestro Corps worked by causing fear in others, which is at odds with other rings as they were in the bearers expressing that emotion, not causing it. But where does this weakness come from? From the need to give the superhero a flaw, one might say, much the same as Alan Scott couldn't use his ring on wood, but there are incontinuity reasons for it. The first was that in order to create the giant Green Lantern battery that powers everything, the Guardians had to create it with a yellow impurity. However, it was revealed that this was deliberately introduced by the Guardians to create a weakness, and indeed could be removed, meaning some rings could work on anything. Later, Carl Rayner would have such a ring, which also removed the 24-hour charge limit, meaning the battery power wore out when the charge was used up, as per a normal battery. However, after those events, it was revealed, again as things are in comics, that the yellow impurity was actually because of the creature called Parallax that was held captive in the central battery. More on that later. Parallax was the embodiment of the emotion of fear, which had a yellow colour associated with it. It escaped the battery, infected Hal Jordan, and led to a number of events that explained Hal's ruined reputation. The inability to impact on Yellow is actually Green Lantern's giving in to their fear. And, to be honest, associating Yellow with cowardice is, of course, an idea that is already in culture, so that works nicely. To be able to affect Yellow, Green Lanterns need to subsume their fear, and it is on that basis that the Green Lanterns are chosen. Not because they don't experience fear, but because they can overcome it. This is the emotional spectrum, an interesting package that does respect existing continuity, but builds on it, although it does mean there are seven different lantern cores. And oddly, yellow is the only colour that affects lanterns. Do they have to be angry to affect red? No. Do they need to be hopeful to move blue? Nope. And so on. And, as already mentioned, yellow fear is the only power that runs on causing that emotion in others, not from the bearer's emotions. Mm. So, we've come a long way from yellow weakness and inspired a lot of ideas. And this is a great example of working within an adaptation rather than abandoning it, although that was done as well. For a good writer, the yellow weakness is no story weakness. Speaking, by the way, of racist characters with the name Something Face, uh, anyone know who I'm going to mention now? Nope. Thomas Kalmaku ring any bells? No. 
Thomas Kalmacher is a fictional character, a supporting character associated with the Green Lantern in comic books published by DC Comics. He was created by writer John Broom and penciler Gil Kane. So this is like, you know, way early Green Lantern. Um, he was a, he's an Eskimo and, um, Oh, oh no. Yep. Oh, for, no. His name, for, uh, he was like a little, like a, a, a Robin character for Green Lantern, and his name was Pie Face, because, folks, he oh. had slitty eyes. So, yeah. <laughs> oh, God. In more recent times, he has been rechristened, as he bloody should be, Thomas Kalmaku, the name of a chap and not some derogatory racist slang that Prince Philip would come up with. So yeah, that's uh, he's a character who's been kind of shunted to the back and forgotten about in Green Lantern mythology. But yeah, he was basically the uh, the Robin or the Speedy or the Aqualad or the Bucky of uh, Green Lantern. Back in the 70s, starting with Green Lantern Volume 2, issue number 76, Hal Jordan travelled America with his friend Oliver Queen. The comic became Green Lantern and Green Arrow, and was a chance for writer Dennis O'Neill, with illustration duty given to Neil Adams, to tackle political and social issues in what was ostensibly a kid's comic. Uh, the often opposing but rarely absolute views of somewhat right-wing lawman Hal Jordan and irascible liberal Oliver Queen formed the backbone of a great deal of fairly groundbreaking character-based storytelling. Then in the early 90s, with DC Comics sales flagging, Hal got mixed up in a rather bizarre set of circumstances that saw him eventually go crazy and start killing the rest of the Green Lantern Corps left, right and centre. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For more on this deeply unpopular decision, let's go to Movie Bob and his big picture show. Available on The Escapist. During the drawn-out climax of DC's drawn-out death and return of Superman crossover, which we'll talk about another time, Hal Jordan's hometown of Coast City and all its citizens were destroyed by the villain Mongol and Hank Henshaw the cyborg Superman. Hey, I said we'll talk about it another time. Hal did not take this well. In the subsequent Green Lantern miniseries Emerald Twilight, when the Guardians told Hal Jordan he wasn't allowed to use his powers to resurrect the city, he had kind of a tantrum about the whole thing. He fought and depowered and or killed the entire Green Lantern Corps, also Sinestro, and by proxy, all but one of the Guardians, then absorbed all the green energy from the central power battery that previously powered all the rings, and was transformed into a supervillain called Parallax. Gampet, the last surviving Guardian, managed to get the last remaining ring to a graphic artist named Kyle Rayner, making him the new, and at the time only, Green Lantern. To put things in context, this was 1994, roughly two to three years before the internet would be widely in mainstream use and change the fandom-creator interaction dynamic forever. So not only was turning the main character for three decades of the series into a genocidal supervillain and replacing him with a new young guy we'd never heard of, ballsy to the point of insanity, it was also a huge surprise. Seriously, people did not see this coming. And it did not go over well. At all. And not just in the normal comic fans hate change way. This got ugly. And it got ugly in a big way. Replacing a traditional Silver Age DC stalwart with a hip college age newcomer was, to many, symbolic of industry-wide disrespect for tradition just on its own merits. But turning Hal evil to do it? People were pissed. In addition, there was also a perceived pseudo-political element in play for some fans. Hal Jordan had always been DC's square-jawed, old-school military tough guy. John Wayne in green tights, basically. Transforming him into a monster and replacing him not only with some young punk, but some young punk artist? A lot of people read that as DC trying to be quote-unquote politically correct, or anti-military, or feminizing the culture, or attacking traditional masculine role models, the usual crap that gets regurgitated by the real-life cotton hills of the world, whenever stuff like this goes down. 
Anyway, Crazy Hal, now Parallax, became the big bad supervillain of DC's next giant company-wide crossover, Zero Hour, in which he tried to destroy the history of the universe in order to fix all the bad stuff that made him insane. Ultimately, Jordan regained his sanity just long enough for a final act of big-time heroism, sacrificing his own life to put things right. For some fans, this was enough to redeem the controversial storyline. For others, not so much. Yes, the admittedly crummy send-off DC gave Hal got so many readers so angry that even though Kyle Rayner would be Green Lantern for almost a decade, the character never really got the chance he probably deserved. Fan opposition to the new direction was massive and fiercely organized, especially considering that this was mostly pre-web. An entire movement sprang up among fans who wanted DC to fix the perceived damage done to Jordan and ultimately reinstate him as the one true Green Lantern. And the movement had a name. Hal's Emerald Attack Team, with Attack later changed to the less deliberately antagonistic-sounding Action. Whatever the acronym actually stood for, Heat undertook what is easily the biggest, longest, and most preposterously powerful act of fanboy pissing and moaning in the history of fanboy pissing and moaning. A decade-long campaign that even consisted of taking out paid advertisements to protest the fictional events of a comic book. But that's not the scary part. The scary part is, they won. Attempts were made to even out the situation, such as having Hal's soul take up the mantle of the Spectre, a supernatural hero who, eh, you know what, we don't have time to explain what the Spectre is. Just think of him as Spawn, but fighting for the other team, okay? Okay. But Jordan's fans weren't having it. They wanted Hal to be the Green Lantern again, and they also wanted DC to somehow absolve him of guilt for the acts of mass murder he'd committed as Parallax. In 2004, fan-favorite writer and noted Hal Jordan fan Jeff Johns set about giving them what they wanted with Green Lantern Rebirth, in which Johns not only took to resurrecting Jordan and repairing his reputation, but also smaller details like making Yellow work as a more credible weakness. Here's what he came up with. As it turns out, the light spectrum from which light-based energy powers like the power rings would draw from is connected to, get ready, the emotional spectrum, and that certain powerful emotions correspond to certain colors, green being willpower and yellow being fear. In addition, each color-slash-feeling is embodied by one of a pantheon of godlike monsters. Green is a space whale named Ion, while yellow is a giant bug demon named Parallax. That's right, Hal Jordan didn't just turn evil and start killing everyone, he was possessed by the yellow space bug of fear. So Hal comes back to life, all the old Green Lantern paraphernalia comes back too, and everyone forgives Hal except kinda sorta Batman because... because Batman. Oh, and Sinestro came back too, kicking off the next big event, the Sinestro Corps War. Yes, Sinestro Corps. If you didn't think they'd take the whole spectrum-slash-emotional-spectrum thing and run with it as an excuse to create a load of new marketable characters all at once, you haven't been watching this show for very long. I'm Bob, and that's The Big Picture. In 2004, some seven years before the New 52 retcon, Jeff Johns began a series of arcs that would expand on the simple green good will versus evil yellow fear. Johns conceived that there could be more colour rings out there with more groups of differently motivated people to wield them. So first up you have Red Lanterns, motivated by rage and led by an unpleasant, angry, beefy chap named Atrocitus. Then there are Violet Lanterns, or Star Sapphires, motivated by love. Uh, the original Star Sapphire was the name of several villainesses who took this role, including, for a time, Hal Jordan's main squeeze, Carol Ferris. Now they're effectively goodies, and there's a whole gaggle of them. The Indigo Lantern Tribe are a group of more primitive-seeming Navi-style dudes motivated by compassion. 
The power of the orange lantern preys upon the potential wearer's avarice. As such, there is only a single wretched representative who guards and covets his ring. And he's very sad. Yes. There, are, there need to be more Larflees in every lantern stuff. He is. He cracks me up. He uh, makes me sad. Actually, he's he's Gollum. Um, not just that. When you hear about his actual backstory, it's even worse. Oh yeah. And the blue lanterns representing hope are the passive, spiritual, airbending Buddhist monk types. A great deal of thought went into this process. The colours laid out form a spectrum with green in the middle balancing out all of the others. Hope opposes fear. Compassion opposes rage. Love opposes avarice. There are also black death lanterns opposing holy white lanterns, as seen in the Blackest Night storyline. And this kind of deeply considered law adaptation breathes new life into stories begun when the world was younger, more innocent, and that the audiences were simple and undemanding. Like John Byrne making Lex Luthor a jealous businessman obsessed with being Superman himself, as opposed to just a mad scientist. So, Sharon, this is a part of the uh, mythology that you suddenly sat up and took notice during uh, reading um, Blackest Night. You're like, right, okay, now I care. Um, do you want to talk a bit about the spectrum? Um, well, I don't know if I can. If there's really much more that I can say, sort of with regards to its actual structure, I think you've pretty much covered the uh, the essentials. But what really grabbed me about it, because it was, I, I sat down and read Blackest Night and and sort of hadn't really been quite that fascinated by Green Lantern up to that point and then suddenly went oh my god this is awesome and it's basically and this is something that I've said before basically anything that gives a sense of a greater universe absolutely fascinates me anything that makes a story feel that there is more to it than just the little bit that you can see Um, and these little windows on the original idea of, of sort of, you know, this green willpower that could be utilized to, um, to defend people and, and reach far corners of the universe and, and protect individuals and, and worlds suddenly opening out into this, uh, more refined, subtler way of looking at, at the different aspects of human emotion, which is a really essential core of what any story to really grab me needs to be about, but doing it on such a, a literally galactic scale. Um, and even before we started watching the Green Lantern animated series, it did have a reminiscence of um, of Avatar for me, that, as in um, Legend of Aang and uh, Legend of Korra, and that idea of the the elements of the world and and. It's not even so much looking at the individual pieces of the puzzle. It's the idea that when you put them all together, they make something all-encompassing. Any more? I'm thinking. Okay, watch. <laughs> My thinking is quiet. Okay. <laughs> Normally it isn't. <laughs> <laughs> Normally, 
I, I could be retreating from you and like turning my head away and like hiding in another room. It's still going on. Would you like to be retreating from me and hiding in other rooms right now? <laughs> okay. I think the the part of it that incorporated the different emotions being running counter to each other as well. Um, it, at the heart of all of these ideas of, of different elements of things is the, the notion of balance and things, you know, weighing each other out and, and there are two sides to sort of not even, not even just two in this case, obviously, but there are different sides to things and it's, it's not as simple as good versus evil. Mm. But if you look at the way that the spectrum is divided up, um, and, um, in fact, I think the, the guardians say in, um, the, the at one point in the Sinestro core war that the reason that they decided that willpower was the, the emotion that they would base their, structure on is because it was at the center of the spectrum and it was balance um, and then the introduction of fear unbalances that um, because it's it's on that's it's on the more negative side of the emotional range but then you have uh you know love that counters uh, something on the other side um you've got avarice uh, that's it yeah love love that counters avarice and and was it compassion counters fear and um compassion opposes rage ah what about hope hope opposes fear because it's the opposite you can have hope and you can have fear and you can have a mixture of the two but one eventually has to win out Gotcha. Sorry, I was thinking of the um, the bits in the animated series where the blue lanterns literally switch off the red lanterns. Yeah, hope affects all the rest of them, but ultimately, when it comes down to it, hope and fear are very, very raw, primal mm. viewpoints on the future. Yeah, but I think what really grabbed me about um, the the way that they worked it all into Blackest Night was that you you didn't simply have the good guy emotions on one side fighting the bad guy emotions on the other side. They all had to work together mm. to have a hope of of taking down death. But even death, as it was presented in that series, wasn't just natural death. And it, again, it's it's often quite. Um, uh, oversimplified in in particularly a lot of mythological story that that death is evil um, but it wasn't that straightforward it was this idea of of death being the neutralizing of of all emotion and effectively the neutralizing of life um, and that again was something that they expanded on in the uh, the animated series which was part of the reason why I took to that so much I think if you look at compassion opposing rage that's your paragon and renegade it's it's ruling with cooperation and, and thinking about other people versus your own personal anger over a situation and your own personal feelings, which um, can often be uh, entwined in other people as well. But it's it, those are two very specific and opposed reactions to a situation. Mm-hmm. And love and avarice are all bound in how you deal with other people and things. So, for example, if you def- desperately want someone and to be with someone but you also love them and you understand that them not being with you is, is the better thing, then you let them go. But with avarice, you grab hold of that person or that thing as hard as you possibly can and you crush it to your breast. Well, under those circumstances, it becomes about possession. It's not really about love at all. It's, mm. it's this thing is mine. The fact that that thing is a person is um, – it, it sort of falls by the wayside. But yeah. um, 
So love basically is, is being in a, a scenario where you are allowing that person or thing to be free of you, despite the yes. fact that it's close to you, that, that if you genuinely love it, you aren't grabbing hold of it and chaining it up. Well, indeed, because if it's if it's love that you feel for that person, then that's not... Um, I think the, the idea of love being about self-sacrifice when necessary... Um, and sometimes that sacrifice might even be the sacrifice of the the possibility of being with that person if it's not if that's not right for them. But if you you know if you genuinely love them, then that's you you would recognise that and let them go. But obviously uh, these all interchange as well, and rage and, and love come into uh, a diame- uh, nearly diametric opposition in the, uh, the the animated show as well, at least once. I was just going to say compassion can counter. Uh, avarice quite neatly because mm. you you would need to have a massive amount of compassion for somebody to understand their avarice and mm. and accommodate that within them. And as I said, hope and fear are two ways of processing the future, and, and you literally have to choose one of them. You know, like I said, there can always be a mix of the two, but they're diametrically opposed. And what really one of the things that really caught my attention about the the whole Blackest Night series was when they started dishing out rings to um, other DC characters, mm. oh, none of whom we're going to mention because it's that's a really cool moment. Mm. It, yeah. it is really great, and I I think they were spot on with every one of them, even though some of them it's like really, but then you think actually yes that works <laughs> totally yeah, but no spoilers there because that that's a really cool moment. It is. Uh, any of you guys want to talk about this spectrum? Because obviously it's a, it's a huge thing. I think you pretty much covered this. <laughs> Sorry, guys. <laughs> I, I just love the fact that Jeff Johns managed to make everything make sense. Yeah. And this is like 2004, 2005 that he started doing this. So yeah. like really ages after this. This has been going for like 50 years. Just, just the Hal Jordan stuff. Mm-hmm. The only issue I have with the whole emotional spectrum is that um, the Green Lantern Corps being based around willpower. Mm. Willpower is not an emotion. No. Yeah, I was, yeah. I was like, so mm. the, the the starting point doesn't actually fit into the emotional spectrum all that neatly. But um, I, I, I certainly like the concept of it. I think the fact that it balances you can you can actually exercise your will through all six of these. So it's kind of more of a conduit. Mm. You could argue that. Itself. That ra- although they call it willpower, what they mean is courage and focus. I think what the Green Lanterns meant to say <laughs> <laughs> was courage, which could also be uh, considered hope. But, but technically, yeah, willpower is, is it, it, I suppose in part, it is a counter to emotion itself because it's about gritting your teeth and doing what you have to do. Yeah, willpower is action. Yeah. Which sidelining emotion in order to be able to act. Which makes a lot of sense from where the Guardian's standpoint is, where they are as far from emotion as they can be. At least they try to stay away from that. So the one energy they harness is the one that is probably farthest from base Absolutely. emotion as they can get. Yeah. Am I the only person who thinks they're basically Vulcans, by the way? They're, they're very... Very Vulcan in mm. terms of, I mean, this was uh, written, what, a good 20 years before uh, Star Trek, but at the same time, they must have been slowly Vulcanized over the years, <laughs> that's a word, <laughs> in this context. It is, but I don't think it quite rubber. works like that. <laughs> they're, they're very hard to like. Yeah. 
Lyra calls them, like I say, blue granddads. <laughs> <laughs> Including the women. Grumpy blue granddads, I might add. Yeah, I mean, actually, that, that's one of my bullet points. Uh, any, anyone want to explain the Guardians? So they, they're some of the oldest creatures in the in the universe, right? Yeah, basically, um, they took it upon themselves to... <laughs> yeah, that, I say it like yep. that, because that's what it is. They took it upon themselves that they would bring chaos... No, sorry, order to the universe and stand up for all that is justice. Uh-huh. The problem with that is they're very exclusionary with how they take things, and mm. their first idea didn't quite work out so well, <laughs> which actually helped create some of the other core. Actually, someone said on the forums, which this is something that bears weight, actually. It's almost like the Green Lantern Corps is its own worst enemy. It's almost like if they stop yeah. doing stuff, then the universe would be in a lot less danger, because it seems like they are the, the, the sowers of each of these sort seeds of discord. Or it all seems to relate back to some shit that the Guardians did a billion years ago. Yeah. It's like, oh yeah, we did that. Sorry. <laughs> and we yeah, cleaned us up, pal. Cleaning Look, up did... their own mess for millennia. <laughs> so there's this thing we didn't tell you about. Um, yeah, it's coming back to bite us in the ass. But we're not going to tell you about it. Hello, the Reapers. <laughs> uh, oh, that's happened more than once with them, too. Yeah. You think they'd learn? <laughs> well, being infinitely wise and impressive beings, they don't learn. They know. Even the wisest <laughs> cannot see all ends. They don't really seem wise to me. They just seem stubborn. Yep. And like, you know, we, we know what we know, and that's what we got. I mean, they're frequently wrong. And Hal's instincts tend to prove them, you know, to, to, to prove them wrong time and again. It's like, well, we happen to be in possession of all the facts. And like I said, the fact that they're seeing everything over a great, great uh, period of time, it makes them quite short-sighted. Or well, I suppose in this case, long-sighted. The problem is that they're, unlike most characters where they're created, where they exist and they live over a period of time, they normally act as observers, whereas they've taken the role of interferers. Well, interferers? <laughs> it sounds worse than it is. <laughs> A lot of what they do is kind of interfering. <laughs> yes, yes it is. This is true. Green Lantern, Weakness and Strength, by Name Chaibani. I was first introduced to Green Lantern when the Justice League TV show was first coming out. I asked my ever-knowledgeable comic book fan of a father about all the new superheroes like Wonder Woman, Flash, and Green Lantern. I asked for the basic stuff, powers, secret identities, girlfriends or boyfriends, and weaknesses. My dad, probably chuckling under his breath, told me that Green Lantern's weakness was the color yellow. This has always been a little weird for me. After all, how could a color be lethal? But over the years, I've learned more about the character, his mythos, and what makes him so interesting. The powers of Green Lantern, unlike the Flash or Wonder Woman, are all completely psychological. Green Lantern's ring is made of willpower, and the ring will only work so long as the bearer's mentality is strong enough to face all the dangers around him. So what undermines that? 
the undoing of willpower, of courage in the face of danger, is fear. Everyone is afraid. Everyone gets scared of the dark, or of spiders, or of heights, or of losing a loved one. And that fear can always make us hesitate, make us stop in our tracks. Hal Jordan is scared of losing a loved one. Kyle Rayner is scared of failing others. Jon Stewart is scared of failing himself. This makes the Green Lantern Corps a little more relatable than heroes like Superman or Batman. What makes them special is that their powers don't come from another planet or years of training. They come from the simple yet forever difficult choice of deciding that some things are worth risking your fears. That evil, no matter how intimidating, should not escape our sight. Green Lantern is a hero in ways most approachable to us. And I want to be a better person for it, if only to know that I, too, could hold and use that wondrous ring. Okay, so let's talk about Green Lantern in animation to date, before the animated series. Um, there were a few brief appearances uh, in uh, TV shows here and there. Um, the, the first notable one was uh, actually Super Friends. Did it, does anyone ever watch the Super Friends? No, before my time. <sighs> Imagine a Hanna-Barbera Justice League. Ugh. It's, Do I have to? I mean, I'm, I'm sure there could be people who are like in their 40s who are like, what are you talking about? This is the greatest show ever. But it's it's terrible to someone like me. Like, I can't watch it. And obviously, I wasn't raised. It's weird watching. It's like, I should have seen this when I was a kid. Like on TV, it was it's, it's sort of like the late 70s. So it should really have been screened around about the same time we were watching things like Spider-Man and His Amazing Friends and The Incredible Hulk in the early 80s. Um, but we just never saw it in the UK, and, and it's terrible. And I'm not going to go into it too much, but basically it's the same kind of, you know, that the banana-suited men would attack and accost Hal Jordan, and he'd, he'd figure out some way of doing, you know, of cutting through their giant yellow ribbon that tied into an old oak tree or something. <laughs> I just made that one up. I would not be surprised if that was it. Gathered together from the cosmic reaches of the universe... Here in this great hall of justice are the most powerful forces of good ever assembled. Superman. Batman and Robin. Wonder Woman. Okay, so the next proper uh, Green uh, Lantern appearance was actually in Superman the Animated Series, and it was from the uh, Green Lantern du jour, Kyle Rayner, the, the sort of the young artist type who took over after Guy Gardner and John Stewart had already um, come and gone. He's an artist for the Daily Planet, and he gets that. It's basically the, it's the Hal Jordan uh, introduction. Only um, Rayner is very has, is filled with misgivings that he's like he's the wrong guy for the job, and the, the ring's chosen him incorrectly. And it's it just lost an episode, and Sinistro turns up and starts smashing up Metropolis. And Lyra actually groaned at this point and went, "It's always Sinistro," <laughs> and she's right. He just turns yeah. up all the time. Um, the, uh... Well, he was the only villain that they really had that could go toe-to-toe with the Green Lantern and yeah. still be interesting. Yeah. 
and uh, he wasn't handled well in this one episode. He just sort of turns up and and, and, and just sort of yeah. gloats. But uh, there's there's no actual sense of um, there's no shades of grey. Which uh, actually in the in the 2011 movie, I will give Mark Strong that he did manage to paint him as a shades of grey character. See, um, Sinestro is quite funny because well, actually, I'll I'll say this after. You mentioned Justice League. Okay, well, well that was going to be my next one. John Stewart in Justice League, they, uh, they picked him uh, instead of Hal Jordan. Um, possibly because at the time, Hal Jordan was dead in the comics. <laughs> he was. <laughs> and uh, he was not particularly trendy. And um, so, uh, also, possibly because um, the Justice League in itself, if you actually look at the, you know, the, the core members um, around about that period... And, you know, stretching back through our history, it looks like a fucking Abercrombie and Fitch catalogue. Just a bu- like a bunch of white boys standing there. You take off all their masks, you can't even tell one from the other. Um, so they were like, right, okay, let's have an African-American Green Lantern. And uh, good, because Jon Stewart's actually a really good character. He, you know, he's, he's kind of a, a stick in the mud, but that gets explored, and, and, and they put him up against Hawk Girl quite a lot, who, um, uh, you know, they pursue a uh, romance, uh, and it's, you know, he's an engaging character. My favourite episode is, uh, have you seen um, the one Kid Stuff, where they're all reduced to... Oh, uh, yeah, where they get turned like yeah. eight-year-olds. And Jon Stewart was a total nerd when he was a kid, and he's got these great big <laughs> green, green Lantern glasses on. And it's like, wow, you, you know, you, you've gotten really sort of old and serious, but you know, you were just some like kid with glasses who probably had a telescope when you were a kid, which humanizes him a lot. Love that one. See, funny thing about, you mentioned Sinestro. <laughs> if you watched, if Justice League was your introduced to Green Lantern, Sinestro barely ever no. featured into it. There's and only so, really two double-length episodes featuring the Green Lantern core. That's, I was quite surprised to find out that Sinestro was their main villain for so long, because mm. he never came up. Yeah, I mean, they they basically kept clear of uh, going into into deep space and dealing with it, and they were, most of the um, uh, adventures were set on Earth, so it just tended to be John... In you know in in the they didn't really do much with the Green Lantern mythos. He was just sort of there and creating fairly humdrum, boring constructs. You know, like a, something to whack something with green cages. But you know, I was always told when I was sort of you know checking out the character for the first time, I was like, he create anything. I was like, really, anything? And this is what he creates. Hammers? It's always a, it's always a sphere. Mm. Why is it always a spear? A spear, a sword, or a, a pokey thing, and uh, I mean, I've, I've actually seen um, some ca- like Sinestro in Justice. First Flight oh. shoot somebody with it like a gun. He just shoots someone through the heart, and just poof, one beam of light very, very quickly. I'm like, okay, that it can do that too. Yeah, John's not known for his creativity. Mm. Um, well, he also was a, and not to say that the military are not a creative bunch, mm. but John was also, I believe he was a Marine or yeah. a, a Navy <clears throat> sniper or something yeah. like that. Yeah. He was a Marine, yeah. He was a Marine. Okay. So, I mean, and he's got, you know, he's got that military training behind him. And in the military, as far as I understand, you end up with, you know, kind of pushed into the mold and you do this because we tell you to do this in your mm. training. And then when you get to the core, it's quite similar to that. Yep. Uh, some of his best episodes as well, uh, where he's paired up with Wally, who is, you know, the fun guy. So he's kind of forces John, like I said, sticking him on to come out of his... It feels more like a sitcom at that point, or a buddy movie. <laughs> I like those ones. Um, uh, moving on, in The Batman. Has anyone, anyone ever actually sat down and watched The Batman? Mm-hmm. I watched it for a time, but I can't remember it. 
it's actually quite good. I mean, it's not mm-hmm. brilliant, but I, I like the design of uh, Batman. Yeah. The fact that his cape drags on the floor and he's really quite um, athletic as well. It's uh, it's not brilliant, and the Joker is is not my favourite either. It's Kevin Michael Richardson, interestingly. I don't mind him. Um, but uh, Hal Jordan turned up in this one. It's, it's like a carbon copy to begin with of the one where Kyle Rayner turned up in uh, Superman. However, the Penguin gets the Green Lantern ring somehow. And then basically is, is, is flying around Gotham going, wah, wah, wah. and somehow he's like, he's squashed it onto his flipper and he's, uh, he's trying to commit petty crimes with it. It's pathetic. And then it takes basically, uh, Hal Jordan just in regular, um, you know, non-powered form and, uh, the Batman to, to deal with him. And it's, uh, yeah, good, good little episode. But, uh, I think it's in series like five when he was first meeting his Justice League. So never screened or available on DVD in this country. So I love the relationship between Hal Jordan and Bruce Wayne in mm. general, as it's explored in the comics. They they never really see eye to eye on anything, nah. even though they're both fighting for good in one way or the other. Their methods and the way that they present themselves are just so opposed. It, oh, it makes me happy because one is about, you know, dark and shadows and fear and instilling fear. Mm. And the other one is about, you know, bringing light on dark places and flashing the bad guys out of the you know out of the darkness and saying you nope you're coming with me matt and sharon having read uh, rising stars matthew bright yes mm. yeah. yeah he's even a cop yeah he takes it upon himself to be earth's policeman and uh, yeah that, that he would be the equivalent um in the i don't, haven't watched this show um, much at all but batman the brave and bold there's only one green lantern with, with the right uh, the chutzpah for this show Guy Gardner. Yeah. Um, I watched a few episodes. <laughs> Were you keen? Uh, it's okay. I, I'm going to give it some more time. But, uh, mm. it's, it, it's the camp it, silly Batman. and the It knows what ideas. it is. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, Guy Gardner <laughs> is... To explain Guy Gardner, Guy Gardner is a colossal jock douchebag. And um, depending on who's writing him in the comic, he can be kind of in a small-minded, uh, petty asshole. He's just incredibly ignorant. Yeah. And incredibly arrogant. Yes. Interesting link to the Brave and Bold. Uh, Guy Gardner appears in Green Lantern, the animated series, voiced by Diedrich Bader, who voiced Batman in Brave and Bold. And he's (laughs) perfect. Once again, Guy Gardner, the ginger Green Lantern, saves the day with an assist from some other Green Lantern. Some other? You really should check your facts. I am the only Green Lantern of... Green Lantern of, uh, hey, better get back there. As for Earth, when trouble calls, Guy Gardner picks up. Stay cool, Hal. I'm sure there's a perfectly logical explanation. So, you want an autograph? Mr. Gardner, I'm a reporter. Uh, That's Vanessa with an I. My cell number's on there, too. Hey, just wanted to say nice work. You did a great job out there. Sorry, pal. The autograph shack is closed. Can't risk a hand cramp. Do I look like a fan? Halloween costume, weird tiny mask. Yeah. Yeah, you do. Neat. Your ring glows just like a real... Ah, you must be that last Green Lantern we had. The one who left the planet high and dry. I was busy saving the universe. You know, Red Lantern invasion. Mm, Nope, doesn't ring any bells. The perfect guy to annoy the shit out of Hal the moment he gets back to Earth. <laughs> He's obnoxious, but for some reason it's endearing. I don't know why. 
I've never really liked him much in the comics, but uh, there was a whole thing he went through, like he, he like he found out he was from another planet instead, and he was like an alien warrior or something. I, I'm not down with Guy Gardner, but uh, there was a great bit in Young Justice where... Um, <laughs> <laughs> Seriously? The Atom? Well, how useful could he be at that size? It's the size that makes him useful. Absolutely. Still, we could always use more raw power. And Earth has a third Green Lantern, Guy Gardner. No. But we could really... No. Yeah, so after that, his first proper standalone movie, and this was in the run-up to the making of the animated movie, so it came out just a few years beforehand, and uh, it sort of told the origin story for the first five minutes and then shot him into space for his first mission, uh, basically to sort of imagine a, a new cop comes into a police station, gets shown the ropes on his first day, and then gets embroiled in um, uh, internal affairs. Green Lantern First Flight. What did you guys think of this one? Dry, to be honest. It, it didn't, didn't really capture my interest. I liked it as a jumping off point. That's the movie I tend to loan out to friends who are curious about Green Lantern. You fool! That's the no, no, opposite no. of what you should be giving them. That sends me to sleep every time! And the reason I do it is because it's, it's the intro and the introduction to the character and the world is is there and it spells it out. It doesn't do it in a particularly flashy way, but I want you to stop giving gets- this to <laughs> turning them off Green Lantern. I, I can see where you're coming from because yeah, absolutely. It, it does tell the origin of how Jordan and it even gives you a little bit of the, you know, the beginning of the, the war of light. It, it shows, you know, some Sinestro stuff in there and kind of where his motivations come from. True. Actually, yes, Sinastro comes off as a decent character in the actual film. Once it gets embroiled in all the alien affairs and going back and forth and the yakety yak yak in it, I mean, the, the animation's pretty basic and uh, something to do with the pacing, something to do with the themes and the, the lack of engagement always literally makes me fall asleep. And I'm not joking here. I literally miss a good 10, 15 minutes of it each time. But anyway. and the casting, even, uh, the guy that got to play the voice of Hal in that one, isn't he a cop on... Uh Law and Order or something like we that. We have to do our fact checks. Hang on. This is uh, this is Gonzo. You can't just throw down an, uh, a possibility right, like that it's, without My headphones won't let me reach it. No, that's fine. I'll do it. Um, <laughs> hold on. Um, green. Did Matt, did you watch this one? Uh, no. Good. <laughs> is it Christopher Maloney? That sounds right. Oh, uh, yep. yeah. He's on Law and Order Special Victims Unit. Mm-hmm. He is. In, yep. Law and Order. Um, he was in Man of Steel as well. Interesting. He was Colonel Nathan Hardy. Oh, that's right. Oh, he was the one who uh, tried to fight a Kryptonian with a knife. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> that's not a knife. <laughs> Bad idea. But uh, no, actually, I quite liked his character. There was a little bit of um, a little the, bit of characterization there. The fact that he tried it twice. Yeah, yeah. Had balls. However, the follow-up, uh, Green Lantern Emerald Knights. The first time I saw it, I was like, "Ah, this is just a bunch of stories." But it's Nathan Fillion playing Hal Jordan. And if ever a voice was paired up with a character in the most charming, perfect, you were born to play this guy way possible, it was this. And he's played him in Justice League Doom. Interestingly, his Firefly co-star Adam Baldwin uh, has played Hal Jordan on two occasions. Once in Justice League, very briefly, and once in Injustice Gods Among Us, the recent video game. I'm not a fighter guy. I see. I completed it. Are you a lover? 
Very much so. <laughs> Specifically of Nathan Fillion. Nathan Fillion is my ideal Hal Jordan Absolutely. casting in mm-hmm. any medium. I want I want Nathan like when they announced that they were doing a Green Lantern movie, I was the one going, "Please let it be Nathan Fillion." But, you know, instead they picked a guy from the same TV show uh, back in the day, Two Guys, A Girl in the Pizza Place. They picked Ryan Reynolds. Nathan Fillion's getting on a bit now, as we all say regarding Nathan Drake. But, and you know, he'd barely be able to fit into the CG costume. But but his voice and his demeanor is so perfect for Hal, so animated he could play him for the rest of his life. We're also going to be best friends someday. I've decided. Oh, yeah, it's going to (laughs) happen. Nathan, I like it or not. (laughs) (laughs) Another Joss Whedon alumni played Hal Jordan in Justice League The New Frontier. David Boreanaz, star of Bones. Uh, I feel sorry. Oh, he was. Why the hell did it not say Green Lantern? No, no, no. Okay, right. So he was. I don't have to correct myself. Karen, who do you feel sorry for? Ryan Reynolds. He so desperately wants to be in a good comic book hero movie. He tried Deadpool. He tried Green Lantern. What else did he Oh, Blade. Blade. There's one that he needs to play. He was quite Reynolds. Dead, that's Deadpool. Yeah. As actual Deadpool, you mean? Yeah. <laughs> not, not fake Deadpool. See, I think he'd make a really great uh, Nathan Drake. Still, now, after all of the crap he's been in. The Flash. I think he needs to be the Flash. Yeah, oh, absolutely. God, yes. He needs I to be Wally West. He was miscast. He was well. Uh, I think they're probably going to go with Barry Allen no matter what. But he yeah. would still make. He could play Barry Allen as well. But it would just confuse people. I mean, there's one thing changing Johnny Storm to Captain America. There's another literally having um, <laughs> the guy who previously played Green Lantern now suddenly in live action playing the Flash and not Green Lantern. Especially if there is also a Green Lantern hanging around. Yeah, that's what I mean. If you're opposite another Green Lantern, you're like, hey, <laughs> that's how we confuse audiences. The guy needs a break. So then he like- should stop picking <laughs> bad movies. He's been in good stuff. Yeah, I mean, did, was it was it Undead Police thing? R.I.P.D. R.I.P.D. I yet I want to. 11% freshness on Rotten Tomatoes. Back to Emerald Knights. This is like... A bunch of short stories about various members of the Green Lantern Corps, all told with occasional assistance from Hal Jordan turning up. Nathan Fillion's lovely warm brown voice, and he's sort of teaching a sort of a a new initiate uh, the importance of various members of the Corps. Sorry, kid. Usually I like to mentor recruits for more than a couple hours before they have to face Armageddon. It is kind of overwhelming. Are you all right? Yeah, sure. It's just that, well, three days ago I was sitting in class trying to figure out a physics problem, and then this. Yeah, that's the way it is. The thing is, why me? I'm just a student. I'm nobody, really. I'm sure Avra felt the same way. Who? The first Green Lantern. It's one of the first stories you learn. I guess we got a little sidetracked. To quote scripture, the first one given a ring was not the first lantern. The first was Avra. It's kind of an introduction to the various other members of the Green Lantern Corps in the wider universe without actually really having to focus on any one major story, although there was an overarching story. Uh, The one about Mogo was fascinating for me. Mm. And then after that, let's move on to the Green Lantern movie. What have we got so far? It's an hour and 14. That's pretty good going so far. Do we have to? Do we have to? Yes. Oh, fine. 
This was the original audio article that Alex sent me about Green Lantern. Specifically focusing on the movie and his love of the characters in general. We're going to start this off with spoiler alert. If you haven't seen the Green Lantern movie, don't listen to this. Actually, or listen to this and don't watch it because I really solved that problem for you. I want you to know that I am a big Green Lantern fan. My last car was green and I added silver racing stripes and the lantern emblem was on the hood. I have a Green Lantern tattoo and have the entire run of comics with Jeff John's name on them. The Green Lantern movie was a long way from okay, in my opinion. The casting was wrong and they tried to do too much with it. Ryan Reynolds, who I do enjoy, just isn't right for Hal Jordan. His portrayal appeared to be Hal in high school with barely a care in the world. Blake Lively could easily have been replaced with a Muppet and we'd have seen more emotional range. Seriously, I feel like Miss Piggy could have played a stronger Carol Ferris. The only casting they got right was Mark Strong's Sinestro. He was cool, cruel, and seemed near the deep end. He, he might just be a good villain if they go for a second run. I doubt it will happen because they decided that in order to do a Green Lantern movie, we had to get the biggest villain with the coolest backstory and totally botch it. Hector Hammond, who Peter Sarsgaard decided to turn into a whiny and weird villain, uh, was a waste in this movie. They could have used his character as an early challenge for a new Lantern, but to combine his origin with Parallax? Really? Why was Parallax in this film? Parallax is the biggest, meanest challenge in Lantern lore. At the very least, Parallax should be one or two movies down the line after Sinestro turns yellow and the story should explore the weakness of yellow in the lantern rings. What they shouldn't do is pull a Spider-Man 3 and toss a few villains in at once just for fan service. They wasted this film. I really think they needed to have Jeff Johns write it. He could easily have set up a cool trilogy storyline that built toward Parallax and introduced Hector Hammond early and even had some cool Star Sapphire stuff where Carol gets taken over by the Star Sapphire and tries to wreck Hal because of how often they fail at being together. The movie was a disappointment. It was only topped by The Last Airbender on the disappointing scale because of how much I love the source material. The trouble with a potential sequel is that I will probably go see it if it happens. I know it will be rough, it will be terrible, and I'll have to go. My willpower isn't strong enough to resist. In 2011, Warner Brothers finally took one step out of the warm, comforting waters of Batman and Superman and tried what nobody could argue was their best, to bring the world another of DC's superhero properties with Green Lantern. Originally mooted in 1997 and offered to Kevin Smith following his Superman Reborn experience, Smith rejected it and the project was deformed into a potentially side-splitting comedy starring Jack Black. Right. For real? Let's just, I mean, do you, how many of you guys have read the bit on the forum about this? Because there was a, Thad posted some, uh, information on this one. No, I, I haven't. Nope. Right. Not yet, I mean, no. picture this. Jack Black is a sort of a schlubby guy, and, um, he's on a, uh, a, a show, one of the, like, survivor shows, eating a coyote head. And, uh, the, you know, PJ and Duncan are saying, this is the man without fear. I swear to God, Abensur's ship comes down and the ring goes off to find Hal Jordan, doesn't find Hal Jordan, finds Jack Black instead. 
Jack Black with the ring foils some robberies and we learn a bit about the Green Lantern Corps, but in a kind of a fucking around kind of way and not it actually. sounds like an MTV skit. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. That's what I thought when I was, it was like, no. They this did stuff, this with really, Spider-Man. Yeah. They it, did yeah. Spider-Man yeah. and the Lord of the Rings and like, you know, it's always Jack Black and it's always desperately unfunny. It's like the opposite of funny. It's like they've got, they, they've got scriptwriters that actually write lines that are the opposite of funny. It's like watching it, I just feel myself getting sadder and angrier every time watching these fucking awful things. Who am I? Sure you want to know? If someone told you I was an ordinary average guy, someone lied. Cause I'm a mother grabbing Spider-Man, Spider-Man, friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. Spins a web in his eyes, using his powers to do good in the community. Watch out, here comes Spider-Man. Spider-Man, Spider-Man, I'll get to that community stuff a little later. Whoa, Spider-Man's getting a tingling sensation in his arachnids. Evening, lady. How do? Mm. I think I just found myself a co-host. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to the MTV Movie Awards. Damn, I'm all webbed out. Don't worry about it, Jack. I got it. Wonder Woman! Yep, and my invisible jet is right over there. Let's move! <laughs> he hit his head! He hit his head on the invisible plane! Oh, I don't get most of these references, but uh, superheroes are all fucking gay, aren't they? <laughs> the, the script of this thing basically had Jack Black just being brought to Owo and learning a bit about this and that, and the, the end of it, there's a, mis- a, a meteorite made of yellow stuff that's about to hit Earth, and he moves Earth with his Green Lantern ring, which doesn't seem physically possible, but anyway, um, it doesn't seem like a, like Jack Black would have the willpower to do that. <laughs> How would he put it back? But then he puts it back, but that causes terrible natural disasters um, <laughs> that completely and utterly uh, screw up the planet and destroy things. So, hmm, this is not a lie, he creates Superman out of his ring in green and gets Superman to fly round and round and round the Earth to turn <sighs> just like in the first film. And then, rather than moving the Earth, he stands in front of the uh, meteorite, but because he's displaying no fear, the meteorite explodes against him and dissipates into nothing, just because comics. And then he and the rest of the Green Lantern Corps uh, eat coyote heads. Uh, uh, Pardon? uh, Because that was what he was eating for this survival show. And it was right. like, yeah, you uh, want to that it, right? I'm not sure why that's bit, the bit that makes the least sense for me. <laughs> I would have had to walk to Hollywood and punch someone in the face. Just, oh my gosh. This was done just before Batman Begins, and it's very telling that it was just before Batman Begins, but it was after Spider-Man 
that's what's baffling about this. Marvel are making films like Spider-Man and X-Men at this stage, in the, in the early 2000s, and really fucking killing it. And the last DC film <laughs> was Batman and Robin. So they, mm-hmm. they're opening Gambit for opening the superhero market and going back to things is not the Batman old, Batman Begins, uh, Batman Triumphant that they've got sort of knocking around the place, the year one thing that they're trying to do. It's the Green Lantern farce starring Jack Black, the new it's, hot stuff. It's shallow Hal Jordan. Right. <laughs> Thank you. Good night. Just, can you just drop the mic at this point? Because <laughs> I love... How, uh, Shallow Hell, it's a great uh, film, but something like Gulliver's Travels, that's the sort of thing I'm thinking of when it comes to, uh, uh for, for this Jack Black film. And I love me some Jack Black, but he has been in some shit, like yeah, year one. He's been which, some good ones. Interestingly, has nothing to do with actual year one. Um, tempted to say, does this not follow on from Schumacher's We're Making Cartoons attitude? Yeah, We're Making Cartoon here. Making a cartoon, uh, you know. I think they just didn't know what the hell they were doing. In 2004, they dropped the idea as Batman Begins was going into production, and Sirius replaced Camp Farce in the thematic stakes. And they realised, oh, hang on, we've got to play like big boys now. Now, having listened to what that what it could have been, kind of makes the Ryan Reynolds movie seem a bit better. At least they took the 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 the, the mythology. Sort of seriously. I mean, the whole film, it almost takes it too seriously. Compared to that, it sounds like they tried with this one. Mm. No, no, no. Sorry, I gotta run. Make yourself at home, okay? There's, uh, water in the tap. Hal, you're late. This test today, it's important. I'm gonna make you look good up there. Don't worry. Now, let's get these pants off. Fly some planes. When I'm flying, it feels like anything is possible. It's like no matter how bad things get, there's something good out there just over the horizon.
now. You go look for trouble. Brightest day, blackest night. I think they did try. I mean, there's hmm. more than a handful of things that they actually don't do badly at all. Let's list the um, good bits, actually. Yeah, now that you mention it. So, yeah, Sharon, you start. Good bits. Okay. Uh, I really like Carol Ferris's character. Yep. Um, I, I know people have said that, is it Blake Lively? Yeah. Did a, a really good job. I personally think they could have got a better actor to play her, mm-hmm. but I thought the character was, was pretty well handled and, and pretty well rounded. I particularly like the, I've seen you naked. You think I'm not going to recognize you because I can't see your cheekbones. <laughs> um, so there was that. Reynolds was not terrible. No, he wasn't terrible. You know, Just he miscast. did, he did a decent job of what he could, but he was still being, you know, Ryan Reynolds as Hal Jordan rather than, hi, I'm Hal Jordan. It was, it was, it was a twist. Mm. Mm. The fact that in this script, Hal is called upon to fuck up repeatedly and still come out the winner. Mm. Yeah. And that's not his fault. He was a bit Van Wilder still, you know, after all these years. There's a point when he first recites the oath in brightest day, in blackest night. No evil shall escape my sight. Let those who worship evil's might beware my power. Green Lantern's light. And he's almost crying at this point. He really threw himself into that, that one moment. And that it's gave like, me chills. yeah, at that it. point, it it's serious. And it's, it's that, you know, props to he, them, him. He takes, that. he takes it seriously. That's yeah. the thing. There's this wonderful little uh, bit that I'm going to play for you now where, um, it was actually a comic con. Some little tiny kid asked oh, him yes. from the audience. Hey, how are you doing? Good. question for Ryan. What does it feel like to oh, say the Green Lantern Oath? <laughs> it sounds a little like this. In brightest day, in blackest night, no evil shall escape my sight. But those who worship evil's might, beware my power. Green Lantern's light. He steals himself and then reads it out with deadly serious conviction and then holds up his ring and then the little kid holds up his ring and it's like this little sort of fist bump across the generations and the uh, the, the spectrum of the Hollywood and uh, consumer. And it's just a lovely moment. And it, it, I couldn't help feeling like warm feelings for uh, uh, Reynolds for that. You know, he, he's a nice guy. But... And I believe <laughs> at this point in the pre-production of the film... They were not, you know, whoever the powers that be were, mm. were not given Ryan permission to actually speak the oath anywhere in public. Ah. And this was the first mm. time that he had done so. You may not speak the oath in public. <laughs> they sound like the Guardians. <laughs> Only not as wise. We know best, Hal Jordan. <laughs> Only actual Green Lanterns are allowed to say it. <laughs> 
<laughs> anyway, um, other good things about this. Mark I mean, Strong. Yep, yeah, Mark Strong is good. He's got a sort of a, a shade. He has, again, similarly uncanny conviction in, in the way he sort of reads his lines and the seriousness about the way he does it. But that's Mark Strong for you. He's a great, great actor. The fact that they put Amanda Waller in it was good. The fact that they didn't really do anything with her character was Or that she wasn't. Yeah, that was a bummer. CCH Pounder. I've been exposed to the Amanda Waller mythos in the the Justice League and the Justice League Unlimited. And we've seen what she is capable of. And even outside that, I've, I've read some of the other DC stuff that has Amanda Waller show up. And she's always like a force to be reckoned with. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She's almost and Nick then, Fury. She's just kind of, oh, hi, I'm Amanda Waller. Oh, hi. <laughs> oh, hi, Hal. Oh, hi. <laughs> I have no- <laughs> <laughs> And that was it. Yeah. And she gets thrown up against a window and then takes no part in the proceedings. <laughs> yep. She will wake up somewhere very upset. <laughs> and maybe this is why she has a vendetta against I was going to say, it's after this that she got all mad. <laughs> Um, other things that are good, when he makes constructs, like, you know, planes and things, those are like, you know, great fun and, and they, they look like they should look. That I wasn't so keen on the racing car helicopter. Oh my god. Uh, but everything else is, is alright. Personally, I like the designs of Tom R. A. and Kilowog. Yeah. Yep, they had a uh, decent texture to them. I think Kilowog's a bit too realistic looking. I think they could have <laughs> made him look a bit more cartoonish. Well, you can't have Kilowog looking friendly, though. Hmm. Especially not in the live-action style movie. Well, the the CG live-action movie. <laughs> uh, Kilowog is a force to be reckoned with in the Lantern Corps. Kilowog here was played by Michael Clark Duncan, who, uh, not content with beating the crap out of one man without fear as the kingpin in Daredevil, is the guy who has to train Hal Jordan. And this was one of the final roles for Michael Clark Duncan, and he will be sorely missed as a man with incredible presence and voice. I was a big Green Lantern fan as I was of DC Comics and all the comic books back in the day, so I was pretty familiar with Green Lantern. Akilawag was one of my favorite characters because he was the only one I could recognize with. <laughs> he was the biggest one. But uh, a lot of people don't know that Kilowog is a very nice and generous person. We're getting close to the point where we can't think of anything good to say about this. Uh, I know we are. Um... I lo- again, this is back to uh, uh, Ryan Reynolds. His delivery on several lines is actually memorable and funny. And I'm, so let's get these pants off and go play some planes. And when he leaves the uh, woman at the beginning and says, um, "There's uh, water <laughs> in the tap," <laughs> it's a great little line. Like some some gems get through, but most of the rest of the script is pretty forgettable. And some of that stuff does kind of shine with with Hal because Hal, as a character, does not have it together. And is yeah. not supposed to have it together in his on-Earth life. Uh, the only thing he's kind of got a good handle on is being Green Lantern. Mm. Yeah. And the designs of Oa and the Guardians with their extremely long red um, sh- uh, shawls. Uh, the, yeah, the, the Green Lantern core themselves are actually pretty impressive. I'm not big on the really long red clothes. <laughs> they seem impractical. I was surprised <laughs> that they had the the whole Guardian area was kind of out in open air on the planet because the mm. Guardians, I don't know, them just having it designed that way feels like the Guardians are, we have an open door policy, <laughs> Lantern, come on over. I just I just had an image of them saying, is it 
It's kind of cold up here. Why? <laughs> we have to sit here forever. No, see, they don't feel cold. Oh, nice. What? Or any emotion. <laughs> um, if if that guy's gone, why do we just leave the wreckage of his chair? <laughs> That's a good point, actually. Just to remind us. But we don't forget stuff. <laughs> um, Matt, anything good about Looking Green behind the curtain, Jerome. 2011. <laughs> That's what we're um, for, uh, Yeah, everything I, I thought already has been mentioned. Um, I didn't hate the film, but uh, it wasn't overly memorable, to be honest. Yeah. Okay, let's talk about what sucks about Green Lantern, the 2011 movie. Right. First off, the fucking costume. <laughs> Yeah. Right. Here is the issue with the costume. Um, Nyla Dixon, creator of the costumes for Lord of the Rings, was on staff for this film. She came up with this sort of very organic-looking design for the, the the costume, and sort of it had to seem like musculature and um, had to have all these lights and, and stuff. And it was very carefully designed. And the ring they kept going back to the drawing board on because they had to make it absolutely perfect. And if you look at the actual prop, you never really got to see it very close. But it, it's like a, a Lord of the Rings ring. It's that ornately carved, and that's brilliant. However. Mm. <sighs> Ryan Reynolds wasn't really wearing a costume. He was wearing like a green body stocking and they CG'd a costume onto him, which gave him a really wibbly looking rubber body, which if you've ever seen the crappy Alice in Wonderland film by um, uh, Tim Burton, uh, the Crispin Glover character has a similar sort of real head and horrible wibbly CG body, which makes him look like a horrible wibbly CG creation with a weird like um, uncanny valley head on top. And every moment he's in that costume, your brain is going, nope, something's wrong, something's wrong, something's wrong. And there's no point along the way did they go, this doesn't work. Let's put him in an actual costume. It's even worse when they actually put the face mask on him. Yeah. just looks like this green blob that's been smeared across his face. paint at times. It doesn't look real. Nothing about that costume looks real. Now, on one hand... It's from space, so it would look sort of weird. On the other, you're trying to convince us it's real. So forego mm. the fact that it should look a bit weird and make it look like, you know, skin-tight armor. What's, yeah, I what's... mean, we don't have to have the spandex look of the early superheroes. It doesn't have to be that, but it can be something that has substance to it. Yeah. It needs to have a, a sense of texture, and I'm trying to think of a, an equivalent. I mean, like the, the Superman uh, costume for uh, uh, Man of Steel, for example. Absolutely. You know, it, it, a lot of people really hate it, but I, I like the fact that it, it felt like it was an actual suit. You know what it was? It was the the lanterns, all of them, because it was this skin tight. You couldn't tell where you know their body. Yeah. Mm. wasn't un- like you could always see like breathing and everything through the costume they looked like you could just smack them around and knock them over they looked weak because they had nothing covering them mm. i'm going to send you a picture from injustice uh, the video game which uh, i actually think they did a pretty good job on the uh, house costume there it felt it felt like it was an actual you know uh, a, a multi-textured multi-layered suit which was oh, never cool still yeah. um, it was actual material now at some point in the uh, mid period of the comics they started taking all the folds of material out of the suit and um, like all of the black 
it was supposed to be just absolute black because it was composed of energy and light and it wasn't actually supposed to be fabric. And you could say, well, technically it's a construct of the ring, so it's not supposed to look real. But again, you're serving two masters here, the, the law and the movie-going public who are used to seeing real people. And every time we see something that's fully CG, our brains say, no, that's not real. You can't fool our brains, and you can't convince that part of our brains it's supposed to... Yeah, I miss the white gloves as well. You can't convince that that part of our brains that it's for the greater good. Because uh, that part of our brain will go, no, wrong. That doesn't work. So, I mean, it sounds like we're bitching, but basically... The entire time he's in this costume, he looks wibbly, and there's no other better word to describe him. The other thing is that a hero is defined by his villains. Uh, Now, we watched um, Star Trek Into Darkness uh, the other day, and uh, we're going to do a podcast on that sometime soon. Benedict Cumberbatch in that was absolutely incredible. He dominated the screen. He ate up the camera. He chewed his lines and spoke with memorable venom and vigor. That is something that really sinks in and you think, Christ, how are the crew of the Enterprise going to defeat this? He seems insurmountable. In Green Lantern, we get a big floaty, floopy cloud thing with a face in it, which never registers as a natural villain. Huge mistake. But even worse than that, we get Hector Hammond. Now, I don't know much about Hector Hammond from the comics, but I like Peter Sarsgaard as an actor, by and large, in things too. like Garden State. Uh, he's a very in- intense young man, and uh, but he's capable of doing hammy performances in things like Skeleton Key, so you've got to watch him. And um, Martin Campbell, director of Casino Royale and Goldeneye, and The Mask of Zorro, who's done fantastic movies before, wasn't watching him. <laughs> and he allowed him to turn in the most pathetic, super hammy, cringeworthy, crawly, boring, tepid, like, get off my screen right now. Hi, Hal. Ever. Ever. He's got this great, big, grotesque, deformed, melty head. Sharon, what were you saying about it being about nerd versus jock? Because that really did bug me as well. Yeah, he, well, he's sort of the the brain, and they emphasise that by giving him this big egghead, quite literally. Um, he's a disappointment to his father because he has no self-confidence whatsoever and no ability to put himself out there. Yeah, and he I tries s- to prove himself by the implementation of his study and, and his work. Um, and, and yeah, it, it's totally this... Here's the, the complete opposite of that, is this big lantern-jawed... No no pun intended. Yeah. Um, blonde, muscly, Adonis, adored person. I mean, wearing a costume that accentuates his musculature as well. Yeah, either that or pants. A demigod. You know. Yeah, someone adored by women versus a grotesque. Andy Serkis could have played the same character, but with frightening intensity. Do you know what I mean? As in, uh, oh yeah, he could have rendered a character that you felt that. sorry for. But at the same time, we're terrified of. But Peter Sarsgaard seemed at some point during production to go, oh, fuck this. <laughs> and just I turned in the maybe, worst performance ever. I think maybe somebody told him, don't forget, hey, this is a cartoon. Maybe. Because it feels like how he kind of was yeah. running. Yeah, he just turned, especially when he's, he's throwing his powers around. He's just this sort of grinning moron. And it never at any point makes you think. But you never think <laughs> this guy could really take on Hal Jordan and win. You just no. think, 
at what point is Hal Jordan going to trick the really smart guy with a, a boneheaded, easy trick? Doesn't take long. It was just lazy. Yeah. Is what, is what the whole Hector Hammond thing was. Now, Hector Hammond is a pitiful character uh, in the comic books as well. I mean, he's, he's not somebody that you're terribly threatened by, mm. but you just feel sorry for him because all he has is his, essentially is his obsession with Carol and Hal. Yeah. But in this show, they were like, let's give him some daddy issues and just see what happens. Here's a suggestion that would have been better, and they had all the elements present for this. Make Hector Hammond the uh, red herring bad guy. Still make it a powerful performance, but make him someone that Hal actually dispatches with relative ease in the end. But make it actually a, a buddy movie with Hal and Sinestro, and the whole time... Hal's getting to know him, but he's beginning to wonder that his new partner's starting to drift a little bit too close to the, uh, mm-hmm. the, the, the aggressive side of things. And basically, at the end, it's a face-off between the two of them. And Sinister's like, you've got to come with me. This is These guys are corrupt. And it, it, he needs to completely have conviction and be very serious about what he's saying, to the point where the audience people are like, maybe the Guardians are corrupt. Maybe I mean, I'd go with him. Someone who y- you actually think is... Not only a match for Hal Jordan, but smarter, more experienced, someone of of true gravitas. They had him right there, but they saved him for the sequel. Just you know, there's never going to be a sequel if you do a really turgid story. Also, if you hire somebody like Mark Strong on the basis that we'll get him to do all the good stuff in the sequel, yeah, that's that's a waste of his paycheck. Do you know what that reminds me of? The Golden Compass. Yeah. We'll do a good story later. As soon as people pay us for this first half our story. What? <laughs> so, you can't yeah. get a job on the basis of I'll do of potential crap work Monday to Wednesday, but I'll come in Thursday and Friday and really pull all the stops out. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, basically, the movie, but when it boils down to it, um, there's no real uh, conflict. There's no ideological conflict, and that's not explored in any way. It's just a cartoonish, supervillainish type conflict. Um, and because there's no real conflict, there's no real story. There's no mm-hmm. tension. It doesn't matter. Earth is threatened by a blah, blah, blah. And uh, if, when, it, it, when Parallax finally emerges and attacks the Earth, it's, it's the sort of... The city is in peril. And like everyone's running away from what is like have you seen that episode of South Park where global warming's coming up? Oh, <laughs> and then that one woman falls down and goes, Ah and it's like, run one lone woman. you you've got to get away from parallax. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I half expected her to just sort of just flip about on the ground like a kipper and go blah, 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 blah. <laughs> Um and, and then Hal Jordan, like, punches him into the sun or something like that. The end, the Earth is saved. It's the most oh. perfunctory, just straightforward, hey, you kids like Green Lantern type um, film ever. If if that's how they could have gotten rid of Parallax, why didn't they do that in the first place? I know! No, look, look at, mm. We imprison him in a, in, a, in, a, in a prison that basically only takes about three souls to get rid of. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Well, for one thing, and the, and the whole... Let's throw him into the sun thing. <laughs> Parallax is a being of pure fear energy. Parallax is fear itself. You can't if burn, you throw an yeah. energy being into a burning energy ball of light, you don't destroy it. Mm. 
he could, that's, boom, you could have four more Parallax movies and make $12, Hollywood, go for it. <laughs> could have made $12. Somebody in the oh. uh, script meeting said, what are we going to do with Parallax? Oh, I don't know, kill it with fire. Also, the war You're not supposed fear. to take it literally. That's the war on terror. Yeah. I mean, just, you know, putting it out there. You, yeah. you, that's like having a war on jealousy. It's, I mean, it's, it's, you can draw parallels with it right there, but at the same time, you're fighting an abstract concept, and that's more interesting than a big wibbly cloud. It just, it just feels like it was, it was lazy writing because they wanted a big looking villain of some kind to go with. Yeah. And what, then of course they picked like one of the big villains from the, the mythos, but they didn't, do any real backstory the backstory and the cool depth behind parallax is going to take you a few pages to get to get in there and it honestly should take you a few movies i would have loved to see parallax in the third green lantern movie Mm. Mm. i think that would have been fantastic but ultimately they should have laid the seeds down in the midst of doing the best single story they possibly could always make every movie as though it's your last if the dark knight had been the last ever batman film my god it doesn't matter whether there's any more that's brilliant but uh what's the marvel film that this most reminds you of i don't have one in mind i'm gonna think silver surfer really four words yeah. silver surfer galactus yeah. was made into a giant cloud, cloud. <laughs> yes it had cool bits oh, but at yeah. the same time it was just sort of boring and silly that was just before Marvel got really, really good. That was the last yeah. one before before Iron Man. So yeah, I mean it's it's not absolutely terrible. It's not like Superman three or four or Batman and Robin or Batman Forever. Yeah, I, I mean it's it's still a little bit higher on the scale than those ones, but it's 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 close enough that all you can do is say have some popcorn. And we can put this in the Blu-ray player if we want to. Yeah, it's not gonna it's not gonna turn any heads. It's not gonna change any lives. Yeah, but it's it's just so so many other movies do the same thing, but with so much more to them that there's no point putting this on. It's like um, eating. Uh, <laughs> it's like if somebody carved a hamburger out of really cheap chocolate. You're like, okay, so uh, this is making me feel a bit queasy. <laughs> At least I'm going to be honest, that, that sort of blew my mind. <laughs> <laughs> so I've got the cheeseburger out of cheap chocolate. <laughs> Just a decent sized bar of dairy milk, the good stuff. Or like really good green and black chocolate. But no, I had to eat this cheap cooking stuff. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, it, it cost 200 and 200 million. $200 million! That's like Titanic cost that much! I don't quite know where they spent that money. Neither do I! What the fuck did they spend it on? They spent Ryan it on Reynolds hours of processing all of the 3D images. That's all they did, was the computer... Gen- that's, well, they threw it at the computers. I forgot about but that. It, it doesn't even... A lot of it doesn't even look that great. That's, that's the problem. Yeah. It's... I get Going back to Hal Jordan's suit and the mask, it just looks... It just looks cheap and, and not well done. So to spend two hundred million on that film is blew my mind when I when I saw that. It's just maybe not, they not actually, a well spent two hundred million dollars at all. 
Maybe they actually destroyed someone's personal helicopter and they got sued. <laughs> you know, it was one more good thing. I thought I, I watched this again today uh, in preparation for our talk. But thank you. I really liked the um, the jet fighter sequence in the beginning. Mm. It was really down. fun to watch. Yeah. And Maybe they actually crashed that plane. That's what it took. They must have money cost about twenty million. Where they, they had to smash <laughs> up a real plane. But they had they had this great opening, this great potential. I I couldn't stand the the Carol. Whenever she was speaking, was mostly when I was having an issue with with her. But I think it, that's mostly Blake Lively's fault. Um, but like, just her lines were so. Stand here, deliver line now, which, you know, how this is an important day for us. I just, you, it was such a letdown. Carol Ferris is such a strong character. Carol Ferris is, she's human. She's, she's real and she doesn't have the stupid that was brought to this. I didn't think the character was played in a dumb fashion. I just feel like Carol needed more because there is so much more to Carol. They missed the point of Green Lantern, which is not to keep it focused on Earth and not to keep it focused on Hal's private life, because ultimately there's a whole new load of law you need to teach people. Uh, And you do that really by having a great adventure with great characters and slowly the law gets seeped in rather than having characters turn up and explain shit. Like yeah. Toma Ray, voiced by Jeffrey Rush. He's got a lovely voice, and he explains he the history of the galaxy and the Guardians and the Guardians of the Galaxy. And, and Black Pearl. And Black. <laughs> and it just goes, it goes on and on, and you're like, right, okay, um, at what point am I supposed to say, right, I now know enough of the backstory to continue with this movie? But it's that's not how you get a world fleshed out. Um, and, and, yeah, I think they should actually have bitten the bullet and had it set in space. Yeah, which can be a hard sell. I mean, I understand yeah. why they didn't. I would imagine the Guardians of the Galaxy are probably going to spend most of the time on Earth. Oh, yeah, that that whole film's a risk. Yeah, that that oh, yeah, we can say right now that Guardians of the Galaxy is a very unknown quantity. I mean, so someone said that it's, it's more of a risk than Thor. Damn right, it's more of a risk than Thor. Up until recently, I hadn't even bloody heard of Guardians of the Galaxy, and I'm a major Marvel fan. I've been into Marvel since I was, like, two, and I haven't heard of these guys. So, I mean, basically, the only reason people are going to see it is because it's one of the big uh, run-up to the Avengers 2 films. So, yeah, I mean, basically, they're going to face the same problems that uh, Green Lantern did. And you know what? I think it'll be a better film because the folks at Marvel seem to have their shit together. In that so far in phase one, they didn't do one duff movie. They did that. They were weaker ones among the six. But even for me, the weakest was Captain America and, and other people, you know, don't, don't like Iron Man too, but those have still got decent strengths over and above Green Lantern. They're decent, you know, well formed movies. They're not just cheap cooking chocolate carved into the shape of a hamburger. <laughs> <laughs> Going at a dismal 26% on Rotten Tomatoes, but worse still, it costs 200 million to make, taking 219 million, which after marketing makes it a flop. Should we step away from the movie? I'm kind of getting bummed out. That's it. Yeah, that was the last <laughs> bit on the movie. Now, the, the problem is that the failure of the movie has a knock on effect. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, more on that shortly. Let's move on to the absolute brightest star in this lineup so far. 
Green Lantern, the animated series. I am receiving an incoming transmission from Oa, Guardian Appa Ali Apsa. Well, after what he did to Ganthet, let it go to voicemail or something. I don't feel like talking to that backstabbing blue munchkin pain in the... <coughs> Jordan. Yes, communication with you, 2814, is equally unpleasant. However, the Guardians have need of you. We have deciphered more of the Red Lantern plans you obtained from Shard. The invasion will begin sooner than expected. Atrostus plans to enter Guardian space using the Lighthouse. The what now? The Lighthouse was created millions of years ago by a lost civilization as a way to travel through the Maelstrom, the asteroid barrier separating the Forgotten Zone from Guardian space. When those ancients vanished, the secret of the Lighthouse was lost, sealing it for countless millennia. Some years ago, a Green Lantern archaeologist named Tavarus made the long trek to the frontier in hopes of finding the secret code that would activate the long dormant lighthouse. Unfortunately, he disappeared without a trace. And you're telling us this why? The Red Lantern Armada is headed full speed for the gate. We believe Atrocitus may already have the code. If his armada crosses the maelstrom into Owen's space, they will destroy everything in their path. Your job, Green Lanterns, is to get to the lighthouse first and destroy it by any means necessary. In 2012, less than a year after the movie emerged, Godfather of the DC Animated Universe, Bruce Tim, producer, artist, and showrunner on Batman, Superman, Batman Beyond, and the Justice League animated series, in conjunction with Giancarlo Volpe, veteran of King of the Hill and Avatar The Last Airbender, created Green Lantern the Animated Series. On casual inspection, fans of the above shows might find themselves rejecting it out of hand. I did. It has a 3D CG animation style resplendent of the Clone Wars, Transformers Prime, the Nickelodeon Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and Beware the Batman. There is a stigma, particularly among 30-somethings, that cell animation is the genuine article, and three-dimensional CG is a somewhat faddy new pretender. Same as the notion that practical effects in movies are obviously better than CG. I would ask you, if you are prey to this viewpoint, to look beyond that initial gut reaction. Try to see through the animation and observe that Hal himself is shaped and scaled perfectly to fit in with the Justice League Unlimited universe, with the same broad chest, strong arms, tiny waist, and slender legs. Then we're just getting his adventures with a different style of animation, and one that in fact brings his story to life in a vibrant and exciting way that at times is even more detailed nuanced and emotionally powerful than any of the classic animated series that I mentioned above. Bruce Lowry of Variety said it better than I, that this sleek, bold, stylized world actually most closely resembles that of the Incredibles. Now, if that isn't enough, consider this. In setting the bulk of the 26 episodes in deep space, Tim and co. cleverly avoid the uncanny valley effect of having to replicate Earth and its people time and again. The focus is on a small group of misfits, none of whom get along swimmingly on initial meeting, all of whom grow closer over time. Hal travels into an unknown corner of the universe with Green Lantern Kilowog in a test model spacecraft at the Interceptor with an onboard AI that frightens the Guardians because of its proclivity for curiosity and capacity to learn. Hal and Kilowog capture a rogue Red Lantern who has already begun to show signs of great internal conflict, and their first order of business is to prevent a massive invasion from the Red Lantern fleet of their planet Oa. 
Oa, as I said, is the Citadel, with its intermingled species from many worlds, all trying to get along for a common cause. The Guardians of the Council, Hal is Shepard, Killerwog is Rex, the computer Aya is Edie, Red Lantern Razor is Anakin Skywalker, but this time done right... Yeah. They are lost in their damaged Normandy-style spacecraft, too far out to be retrieved, and with repair taking time and resources they may not have. Aya, please estimate time for repairs. Calculating. Ultra-warp ready in 9.2... Nine minutes. No problem. 9.21 months. Okay. Can we form a construct and replace the defective part for the ride home? The construct would have to be an exact copy of the ultra-warp coil mechanism and its 56 moving parts to within a 0.8162 micron tolerance. Can either of you do that? I make hammers. The race is then on to get back home and prepare the planet for invasion, stopping off at planet after planet and having to make difficult moral decisions with the people they meet. And that's just the first half of the season. I do not mince words. I know my audience and your impeccable taste. Engage with this and you will find a show you love. You'll also find a show that was cancelled after its epic, heart-wrenching conclusion. Mm. This was due to the toys from the shitty movie, then released two years prior, not selling enough. There were no animated series toy lines, although once you see it, you may wish there were, if only because they would have sold well. And they would have looked just like what the show has on the screen. Totally. It would have been perfect. This, like Firefly, will become something you lament the short life of, but remain thankful that you got to witness it in its short, marvellously creative lifespan. If I'm entirely honest, the starting point for any of you guys would be nowhere near the live-action movie, or even the comics. They just can't sum up the best that this concept can reach in short enough order to win you guys over. My suggestion would be that you abandon the idea of Green Lantern being a caped superhero like Superman. Forget about the Earth and instead embrace Hal Jordan as DC's Commander Shepard, exploring the vast reaches of space. Watch the first half of Green Lantern the Animated Series. It is available in two DVD sets in Region 1, and those 13 episodes will, in exactly the same way as Avatar, win you over very soon with likeable, engaging characters and stories that don't go the way you'd expect. The depth and texture and heartfelt emotion on the small scale, as well as the ideas laid down in the epic side, many of them seriously at odds with the child audience, will build a number of climaxes that leave you breathless and praying for the safety of the ones you've come to love. The finale left me and Sharon in a similar state to the closeout of both Mass Effect and Avatar. It is the greatest discovery of 2013 for me, and I pass it on to you guys now in the hope that even a fraction of you eventually feel the way that we do. And that's all I shall say right now about Green Lantern, the animated series. You guys carry on. Uh, I'm immensely disappointed in the Warner Brothers about the cancellation because both Young Justice and Green Lantern were two of, the, two of my favorite things mm. broadcasting at the time and they cancel, both of them were cancelled at the exact same time mm. for reasons that have yet to be given. Well, I think, like I said, the uh, the fact that the, it was tied up with the Green Lantern movie toys and the fact that the movie wasn't... If the movie had done well and been getting a sequel, this would have been kind of a bridge series that kept the interest going and the toys being bought before Green Lantern 2 came out in, like, now, 2013. 
Now, from the sounds of it, they may still make a follow-up to that Green Lantern. They still haven't said definitely not. It didn't tank so horribly that they'd never dream of it. And because they've got to do something Green Lantern related at some point if they're going to, you know, continue with the Justice League yeah, side of things. They make that happen. They, they, they may make something to that end happen. Basically, the, what's up in the air is whether it will still tie in continuity-wise. I frankly hope it doesn't. Okay. The reason why I didn't watch this sooner <laughs> is because I was watching Young Justice, yeah. really enjoyed it, and it got cancelled. Then I learned that Green Lantern was running alongside it and made by the say It was in DC Nation and got yeah. cancelled. And I knew I'd end up feeling this way if it turned out to be this good. <laughs> there were going to so. be people out there feeling like that as well, going, well, there's no point in me picking it up. I don't want to feel this bad. <laughs> exactly. It's like... It's worth it. It's like... That thing about better to have loved and lost than never to have loved at all. Mm. I mean, I know Men in Black where uh, Kay says very dryly, try it. But this really is something that, that we... Uh, the other thing is, unlike Firefly, it doesn't just end on an ellipsis. It ends nope. on an ending. It has mm. a proper ending yep. that most animated mm. series would be incredibly proud to call exactly. the absolute final mm. climax. And it ends on a... Huh, it ends on a note of hope. It leaves you, you know, desperately wanting more, but being happy that there were 26 episodes of this. Matt, you just just literally finished watching this before we uh, started podcasting. What did you make of it? Uh, to begin with, first, uh, when I watched the first episode, I, I enjoyed it, but I wasn't particularly, um, I didn't particularly engage with it. And I think that was partly the... Uh, the animation style was so different from the previous DC animated series, of which I've watched a number recently. I, I think it just was was visually uh, quite uh, not jarring isn't quite the right word, but it was such a different look to it. And uh, Kilowog looks, you know, he's been redesigned to a certain extent. It's a very different look, and I think that was partly why. But, um, a, you know, a couple of, ep- of episodes in, and I got used to that. Uh, I, yeah, I really enjoyed it. There's some great stories in there. There's some excellent characters. They do uh, a good job of uh, explaining the wider um, lore of the, the, the various Lantern Corps. They bring all of them in, you know, they're all, all featured in there, but it, it's not simply a case of, right, this week we're going to put in the blue lanterns, and next week we're going to put in the orange lanterns, and then we're going to tick all these boxes so we can show everybody. They, they, it's a they slow used, reveal. Yeah, yeah it, it's, not, it's not just done, boom, 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 let's stick all these in and, and you know, tick all the boxes. It, it's done, you know, everything's got a narrative reason behind it, and it, mm. all, it all comes together, you know... It, you set it's set up in one episode, and then you know three or four episodes later, that kind of comes back in along with mm. something for a couple more episodes before that, and it, it's a really well plotted series. The 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 backstory behind it is, I say, it's, it's not just completely laid out like the the movie. Basically, goes right here. You go have some law, boom, and it just puts it straight in front of you. And goes this is everything about the Green Lantern <laughs> law. Here you are. Digest this. Um, and here's a, a whirly cloud to, to look at while you're doing it. It doesn't do that. It goes, right, this is the law, but it gives you some of it, but it doesn't just go, right, this is everything. It goes, right, this is this, and this is this, and, this. and it gives you a bit of room to have a think about it and, and sort of you know, use your imagination a little bit without bombarding you with f- just facts. It doesn't just sort of go, here's a Wikipedia page, read this, this is the deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and... The other thing I, I, I liked about it was the fact that it doesn't 
it didn't have any kind of origin story. It just, it starts, you know, it, with, uh, Hal Jordan as a, you know, an established member of the Green Lantern Corps. So you don't have, you know, four or five, you know, the first four or five episodes basically given over to just explaining how all of that happened. Some of it's there, but it's, it's, you know, it's done, you know, like flashbacks or it's just hinted at it's or whatever. It's not ham-handed. It's not just fed to you. It's. Exactly. Yeah. It's, over it's time. Not, yeah, it's not his, you know, it's not exposition. This is, you know, the story so far or anything. It just starts and then you, you, you know, if you know nothing about the Green Lantern, you will learn over the first couple of episodes a bit about the Green Lantern Corps, but there's good stories to, to keep you entertained while you do that. So it's, uh, it, it I guess it's, it's treating the, the viewer with a little bit of, accrediting them with a little bit of intelligence, treating them with a little bit of respect, that they can work out some of this stuff. <laughs> Which Hollywood which, would never do. Well, no, they, they clearly didn't in the Green Lantern film, because they went, right, here's a, here's a Wikipedia page, boom, read this, <laughs> and, it, yeah, that, that's the exact opposite, that was ham-fisted, and that was just hurling, you know, just facts at you, and, and crediting the, the viewer with no intelligence whatsoever. So, but also the average viewer will ask, "Well, why should I care about this? I've had to absorb no, any number of, of crappy, made-up, uh, you know, law stories from all the fantasy I've ever watched. Why should I suddenly care about this? Give me characters to care about." Yeah, mm. well, and, and there are some great characters. I mean, you've got in in everything I've, I've seen and read, I've had a few issues with Kilowog because he just. In the comics, I've not reread that much of him. In the comics, he comes across a little bit better, but in, uh, in the various animated shows and the, the Green Lantern movie, he just basically comes across as a, just a big bloke who hits things with, with hammers. That's basically what he's just punches things. He's kind of like a, a non-angry Hulk almost. And I don't think it was too bad. It was a little bit of comic relief in this, but I think it was handled Fairly well. There's a few. There's a few bits that uh, well, I was, you know, didn't really quite sit that well for me. However, because it's not just him and Hal, you've got Razor there as well, and Razor's character is just absolutely brilliantly done. Uh, and and so the three of them together, you've got three very different personalities, and it, it gels together incredibly well as a team. Um, and and the, yeah, the, you've got good characters which makes you want to just keep watching and then you get you sort of absorb the uh the the backstory and the lore and the, the greater um green lantern core mythos as you go which is exactly how it should be done razor is the uh, rogue red lantern and uh the Indeed. moment you meet him in the first episode he's just been responsible for blowing up an entire planet and he wants hal to kill him so that he can atone for his sins and Hal refuses and basically says, no, you're going to make this right. So he is a character with an arc. He has 26 episodes of change to, to, to go through. So it's uh, unlike Hal. I mean, basically, you know, Hal's there to sort of be the, the core character that we all, you know, all can, you know, relate to and, and, and is fun and, you know, has some decent standard morals and, and can actually reflect humanity uh, on the rest of the galaxy. But, He's not the one who changes over this time. Razor does. And uh, without going into too much detail, Aya, the onboard AI, becomes an incredibly important character throughout the uh, uh, series. And they're, two, they're the two original characters. Yeah. 
that they, they have not so- made action figures of because they're original to this series. So we can't yeah. buy them. We can buy mm-hmm. Burger King toys, but that's it. Personally, oh, by the way, they made three Hell Jordans, one Kilowog, one Razor, no Aya. Because boys don't like playing with girls. I'm face palming as we speak. Three Hell Jordans with three different powers. Pointless. Personally, I hope it becomes a Harley Quinn thing where they get introduced into the... Oh, how sweet would that be? Exactly. Yeah, I would love because basically then you could effectively continue this story in, you know, in some form by seeing what then would happen after the series without going into too much detail. What I liked about Razor is, is being a Red Lantern, obviously his his powers come from anger, mm. but part of his character growth kind of changes that and he is no longer he's no longer harnessing anger in the same way and I found it quite interesting to see how someone could go could still you you know he's still very angry character but instead of being angry at everything else he's angry at himself and it's kind of and I just like the fact that he's he's always conflicted about everything he's trying to do the right thing but he's just constantly angry uh, and so he, you know initially it kind of looked like he was just basically going to go and smash things with a big red hammer as opposed to Killer going and hitting things with a big green hammer. And I like the fact that they got away, they started getting away with that very quickly and having his, uh, his inner character, the, you know, the, the person he would have been had he not had, you know, had the, the events not happened to him, they did to, to turn him out so angry. That character starts to come through. I just, I found it fascinating that, that you can have, you know, Two, uh, you know, seemingly opposing forces: the, the Red Lanterns and the Green Lanterns, who are, you know, are basically enemies a lot of the time, working together, but still using, you know, still doing things their own way. I thought it was uh, a very interesting because you could have easily just had Tomar Ray or, or Kamatui or whoever as a third Green Lantern. They could have easily done that, and I'm, I'm really glad they, they mm. didn't. Rather pointedly, at the beginning, his constructs all sort of. Um, very chaotic and sort of the just sort of almost formless and he's hitting people with raw emotion they become more formed as he develops as a character while we're talking about this i'm noticing some pretty cool parallels to prince zuko if you look at zuko at the beginning and look at um raisin beginning they are very similar people while i don't think it's a spoiler to say that there is a character arc i will i will say without spoiling anything further say that it's the internal struggle that really makes you interested in Mm. those two characters both yeah both of them uh, are the two that develop the most over their respective series Interestingly, Aya is voiced by Grey Delisle. Who I voiced, know, I was right. Azula. <laughs> Azula. Who voiced Azula, the uh, sister of Zuko in, in Avatar. There were, Kevin Michael Richardson voices uh, Kilowog. I, you know, immediately um, loved the representation of his character in this. Possibly just because of having watched Emerald Knights, um, seeing his origin and where he basically started out as this green new recruit being bullied by his drill sergeant who showed him by the end of that particular story that it is very important to to be able to maintain a certain amount of stern um, authority over the uh, the troops. It showed that there is actually a sensitive side to Kilowog, and he doesn't just smash things with Harry. I'd actually call him uh, uh, more like Ben Grimm, the uh, the thing. But yeah, he, Kilowog has a cool fatherly quality to mm. him. He's got a very 
protective nature. And as much as he, and, and when you read in, in the comic books or anything like that, you see him interacting with the rookies or even a little bit in Emerald Knights. Posers. Um, posers. Uh, that you see his, his interest is to train them to, so that they can be the best they can be, mm. so that he doesn't have to lose them. Engine room's this way. This way. That's the main power line. As if you know how a cargo ship works. It's not some Red Lantern death ride made out of lead foil and scrap wire. And stay in front of me. How's that phony ring holding up? Without a Red Lantern battery, eventually its charge will die. <laughs> Sooner the better. But for now, as long as I feel rage, it's as strong as yours. is falling to pieces, and I'm sick of your self-righteous braying, you fat greeno! You can stop that now, or I'm turning the ship right around. Isn't that exactly what we're trying to do? Try something like that again, and I'm blowing my ring charge on you. He's chewy in this as well. Because yeah. basically Hal is, is very Han Solo the, the, the whole way through. Uh, uh, he's voiced by um, Joshua Keaton, who should be used to this by now. Uh, he was in Spectacular Spider-Man, another fantastic uh, show, which got like 26 it. brilliant episodes and was then cancelled. <laughs> Yeah, basically, whatever Joshua Keaton's in next, enjoy it while it lasts. It's going to be great, but it'll only be 26 episodes long, and then they'll cancel it. Also, the fact that Carol Ferris in this, uh, that's uh, Hal's main squeeze, uh, who he leaves back on Earth the whole time, uh, and who by some means manages to get out into space, so we we won't tell you how, is voiced by Jennifer Hale. Commander Shepard to about uh, 25% of the Mass Effect players. <laughs> that certainly uh, gives you more of a, a Mass Effect-y feel uh, to the whole thing. And she, you know, she, uh, she, she wrestles with some pretty hefty concepts actually because yep. Star Sapphires uh, deal chiefly with the subject of love. They are, I think, Sharon, were you talking about this on your show? They're abusing Briefly, yes. And yeah, they're they, twisting it into something it actually isn't. That's right, yeah. They they kind of distort it. And it's it's almost like... This is one of the things I was going to mention about the animated series and, and what blew me away about it repeatedly. And that episode is a, a great example of it. They would set something up that kind of seemed to be fulfilling stereotypes that you would traditionally associate with with comic books and um you know tropes that have been uh done to death and you know the idea that you've got this pack of of female lanterns who all wear you know they call it violet but it's pink and um you know they the, were joking about that too. <laughs> yeah um and and the fact that they're supposed to be these sort of warrior women but they're all wearing thigh high high-heeled boots and and yes. high cut um you know effectively swimsuits with strategically placed cutouts so that cleavage will be visible they do and, get away with that by the fact that they fly so they don't necessarily need a strong footing but still yeah but come on <laughs> i mean come That's, on 
that's that's not a very strong excuse when you're trying to justify no. costumes. How can you be here? How are? I thought you were dead. I... Oh, Hal, I thought I'd never see you again. I see I've interrupted something. No, no, Carol, I. All this time, I thought you were dead. Well, now you're gonna wish you were dead. You've got it all wrong, baby. She's just a friend. Don't worry, sister. I won't forget your part in this. You're suffering delirium from the transformation. We star sapphires are beings of love. Carol, stop. I don't know how you got here or into that outfit, which you look great in, by the way. But oh, I do, because your little tramp here is in the same outfit. You've got to shake this off. Whatever they've done to you. What they did is give me power. You let me think you were dead. And all the while, it was just party time for all hell, wasn't it? Um, Although, interestingly, animation style-wise, some of the uh, the reasons I don't usually like CG is because when people's feet pace across the floor, there never seems to be any sense of weight to them. They sort of glide and do a walking motion. Um, because so many characters in this levitate so often, that is avoided. I never really felt sort of that they were they had that sort of muppety ragdoll feeling, which Clone Wars I definitely got all the time. I mean, it is there, but as you say, because so many of them are lanterns, it's, yeah. it's just inherently far reduced because they're so often floating. So Alex can probably answer this one. How come they can just fly around in space and not need air? Oh, that's uh, part of the ring. Oh, uh, really? The, okay, so yeah. ring. it's an automated system. Oh, yeah, right. the, um, it, it has a. An inherent protection system that it does. Uh, there's almost like a spidey sense kind of a thing that happens as well. As the, a ring can usually alert you if there's some danger inherent, yeah. uh, but it will. All the rings allow flight and uh, translation and yeah. translation and essentially atmosphere. So and wherever you are and coverage, yes, it's very important if you want it. <laughs> I also have psychic powers, but better than Kyle's. <laughs> like, yeah, but the ring can do whatever it needs to do. Especially, you know, over the years, it tends to do more and more. Well, isn't there one? There's one episode where their, yeah, yeah, I know exactly. The rings are running out of charge, and so they're they're you know faced with a very real danger of um, running out of oxygen on a methane-rich planet. Because if yeah. their ring runs out of power, then the green shield around them will, or red shield or whatever will. Will disappear and then they're stuffed. And as Hal and uh, Killawog's um, uh, power runs out, they then can't understand each other. Uh, yeah. So uh, they have to depend on Razor to keep them alive, and they're sort of running around the place with him, you know, sort of keeping them in a bubble. And uh, yeah, that's that's a great kind of uh, buddy movie type uh, episode with some, uh, some great little comedy moments. <laughs> What did you just say? I've heard Kugirahoof was offended. Your rings have no power. Your translators are offline. Then how come I can understand you? The same reason you're still breathing. But I don't have much power left either. So I suggest we find a way inside that dome. So, Kilowak, was that formal wear or just sent me through together? Well, Turkey, Hanaseka? He said he likes your outfit. <laughs> you don't suffer of managanki. What? He likes yours too. 
That's our ticket inside. When it passes us, we need to slip under the last vehicle. Cars, cars, cars. The car power and Alec perfume vai I suppose Fashion Plate here has a better idea. He says that's our ticket inside. When it passes us, we need to slip under the last vehicle. Oh, okay, good plan. And it's really funny as well. I mean, you know, it is. I haven't mentioned it's really emotional, but it's really funny. It's in the same way as uh, Avatar will really make you laugh. There's, there's a lot of really neat scripted moments which uh, just so that they banter back and forth. Oh, the bit that got me with that one was where um, uh, Killer Wog's rattling on in, in something that you don't understand any of. And then he says, Pooza, and it's like, yep, we know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've also got Laughleys down here as a character. Like I said, he's this, this Gollum-type uh, character. He's only in this one episode where they come across the Orange Lantern and Hal suddenly gets gripped by the desire to get, to get hold of it. When he thanks them, he goes to get them a gift. He goes through his treasure box. And he's, look, he's rifling through it, and he's sort of and going, no, no, can't find anything things. small enough. And then he stops and turns and looks at them, and then he picks one of the flies that flies around his head all the time because he's disgusting, and sort of offers it to them in a kind of, eh, maybe? And then he goes, no, I give you my thanks. And it's like, that's, that is literally mm. all he can give. And he is gripped by selfishness you cannot possibly believe. And it's so pitiful to watch him do, doing that bit. Yeah. I immediately thought uh, Gollum. I mean, yeah. yeah. first to the, the Orange Lantern is shiny, which is obviously very, you know, basically yes. is precious. And it's the way he curls up way. around it and he's almost uh, sort of cooing to it, yeah. um, pruning to it. And, um, yeah, very, very Gollum. I think that was very deliberately um, a Gollum-like appearance yeah the, the way it was animated was deliberately done that way yeah and i'm presuming that the reason that he is the only orange lantern effectively is because uh, he won't allow any of the other rings to leave yeah all the orange lanterns killed each other for possession of the orange mm-hmm. lantern battery now because that's really that's his, his actual he's millions of years old really and if you look up his wikipedia page you see how bad his life got to oh, yeah. where he got. The I mean, it's in- gave to Laughley's unnatural long life. <laughs> there, in the darkness and in his cave, it consumed him. <laughs> in the glow of his orange light, it consumed him. Um, Look up Agent Orange. I mean, he's a very. You know, I, you know I, Laughley's enjoy- entertains me. I, he is very pathetic and. There's a lot that can be done with that, and just in his part in the War of Light, I really loved the the whole dip into avarice and greed, yeah. and what that represented during the comic series. Oh man, good stuff! Uh, there's a character of Saint Walker who turns up here as well, who is uh, key. I screamed when he showed up. Yeah. So did I. I. <laughs> <laughs> Again, it seems like kind of a Mass effect type character. He is uh, one of the uh, core Blue Lanterns. In fact, I believe he is the first Blue Lantern in this. Yep. Um, that's not spoiling too much. We have to talk about the Blue Lanterns. A graveyard of space wrecks. Brache pirate ships. Warships of the Cardonian Horde. Yes, and those are space clippers of the Tarconi Marauders. Who are you? One of the castaways? Those over there are caddy slavers from Gur. Quite the collection. All of them seriously bad people who have done seriously bad things. Tell me who you are, or so help me. The path they walked led to their doom. It is the same path you travel now. I am Saint Walker, and you are? About to kick your smug rear. That is not a very pleasant name. Not in the least. You got a problem with me. 
Do you have a problem with you? I only have one problem, but it's a problem I intend to correct. It would appear that Blue Lantern's hope can't do anything and in and of itself, but they can boost the hell out of the other ones. Now, can they True. create constructs? Well, they can only create a construct when there is a Green Lantern around, ah, because what, yeah. hope is nothing without the will to use the hope. Nice. See, this has yeah. all been really thought about. It's not just all Power Ranger shit. That's what you get from Jeff Johns. <laughs> yeah. He's taken a while to grow on me because I really didn't like Flashpoint. Um, but, uh, yeah, the, the, the more I read of him, uh, the, the more interested I am. And, and I, I'm getting into New 52 Justice League as well, which he also writes. The best way I can describe um, the, the Blue Lanterns is uh, hippies or um, airbenders or <laughs> monks, Shaolin or Tibetan, whichever you wish. Very, very peaceful and very uh, um, it's confrontational. Very, it's a, 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 a lot of, sort of Buddhist yeah. um, themes to them, the way, just the way they exist and the way they, mm. they um, uh, interact with, with the universe around them is, is yeah, yeah it's, it's very much that sort of Buddhist do no harm, tree hugger kind of uh, <laughs> peacefulness. I mean, the first time you're introduced to him, you get that very much like. Float, floats on the clouds, sort of thing. He's yeah. weightless. He did. He, oh gosh. Yeah. Very much like Ang. Yeah. It looked like, you know, when, um, that, that first confrontation that Razor had with, with him, it was like watching Uma Thurman try to hit Pi May in Kill nice. Bill 2. <laughs> yes. My, my favorite socks. Blue Lantern is probably my wife. Mm-hmm. Uh, because she is, is that like embodiment of hope in our home. Like, just, like her thing is, oh, everything, it'll be fine. That's her like outlook on everything is it'll work out and it'll be it'll be cool and she's really good at kind of affecting me who is the Green Lantern of the home who's like let's go do this and she can really direct my let's go do this energy in a positive light rather than because I'll sit around and worry about stuff if uh, if she lets me but uh, eventually if she ever if she ever sucks it up and goes for it we're gonna have similar tattoos. Uh, I already have a Green Lantern uh, emblem on my shoulder. Oh, man. She, she really wants to get a little blue, uh, just a very tiny Blue Lantern emblem in the middle of the word hope. She wants to replace the O with the with the uh, emblem. That sounds awesome. One of the episodes that blew me away was called Steam Lantern. Oh, yeah. oh yeah. They go to an alternate reality where um, they mentioned that a, a Green Lantern had uh, helped them out at some time in the past. They never really show you a picture, but they describe him as having a red top and a green cape. They're talking about the early Alan, Alan Scott, Scott. Yes. magic <laughs> lantern. And uh, this is his parallel universe. And uh, so there's this uh, one guy who's basically emulating Alan Scott and has sort of set himself up a sort of a, a steampunk-style Green Lantern set suit of armor. And it's the, uh, it's this sort of jolly good show. It's almost like Bioshock Infinite, actually. That, it that did episode. have that feel yeah. to it. Um, it, it reminds me of Korra a lot. Yeah. The only issue I have with that episode is the, the once again... Uh, stereotypical, stereotypical portrayal of British people. Yeah. Yeah. Fucking tea. 
Jeez, yes, we like tea, but we don't constantly vote on about Americans I coffee. Don't. It's like, well, as a nation, it's a bit, we like tea, but it's not, it's not the be all and end. It's, it's not a case of, oh, it's a universe ending thing that's just been narrowly avoid, avoided. I must have a cup yeah, now to recover. Did it make up I think for they are being now. slightly ironic. When I realised what they were doing with the ending, my jaw hit the floor and I went, oh my god. God and I, oh yeah, I can't think of the last animated show that made me do that. Even even Avatar, I don't think has, has made me go. Oh my god! Maybe when I first saw uh, Republic City and the first ever episode of Korra, because I just I had hidden myself away from all Korra imagery, so I didn't know what to expect, and I was just oh my god! But this was the next time that uh, that they just blew my mind with that one. It was I mean it, apart from the, uh, the 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 chirpy Cockney and the, the posh bird. And the, <laughs> The, the whole British <laughs> I'm a duck. Apart from apart from that, which 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 just always jars slightly because it's it's never it never is a proper Cockney accent. It's always a bit of a uh, Dick Van Dyke. Hello, Mary Poppins kind of accent. <laughs> this just irritates the piss out of me anyway. That's um, just what we all think in the American side of the of the ocean. Just that's get all. A bra- there's fucking loads of Londoners <laughs> in that, Los Angeles ready to work. Just get someone with an actual Brit yeah you know, uh, Cockney accent to do it instead of getting an American to torture it. But apart from that, it was one of my favorite. Episodes, I really did enjoy it, and the the the, the steampunk uh, Bioshock Infinite look to it was was a large part of that. You've got you know, airships and stuff. I really really enjoyed it, largely because it was it, it was someone emulating being a Green Lantern. Hmm. Not, you know, it wasn't just a, a another version of a Green Lantern. It wasn't an alternate reality Green Lantern. It was someone who was just using technology to do it instead. And I really I really did enjoy it. Yeah, the idea that they can actually inspire and that there's a knock-on effect of their actions. Yeah. I like that yeah. they threw a nod to Unobtainium in that episode as well. Yeah, what was it called? Yes. Like, really hard uh, to find him or something? Yeah. <laughs> so many good episodes in this. We, you know, we won't go on about it anymore. I think you guys have, have got the message on this one. It's it's a really, really great show. You will thank us when you finally get round to, to, to watching it. And yeah, frankly, if there's like £10 per DVD set, though, you can get the whole thing for like 20 quid imported. No oh. worries. Just to let everybody know, if you come to Gplex next year, I'll probably have that for raffle. <gasps> Why? Why are you getting rid of it? I'm not. Oh, you're just going to buy it? It's an encouragement. It's a, here's this. <laughs> you're going to buy it to get people into it? Yeah. Nice. Okay. Good. I thought the gasps were excited gasps, not full of dread. <laughs> <laughs> Couple of excited R's. Okay, right. Um, let's finish off with uh, a little nod to the comics, because obviously this is going to be the, the biggest, most daunting thing to get into, and I don't really want to go uh, go into them in any major detail, because this is like the last stop once you're into uh, Greenland, because basically once you've seen the animated series, it's like, well, where do I go next? Um... So, I've got four books down here. We don't have to talk about them in any particular detail. I'm really, I can only really allow ten minutes or so for this. But I've got Rebirth, The Sinestro Core War, uh, Blackest Night, and Brightest Day. Uh, which of those would really be the next workplace to go after you finish watching the animated series? If you finish watching the animated series, I think the next place to go would be... I don't even know if Rebirth is the way to go, because you're used to Hal. Yeah, and you don't, know, you don't need the... Um, Rebirth is an enormous retcon of, okay, right, all of that crap that happened in the early 90s, let's just draw a line through that. It did, well, it may have happened, but it wasn't for reasons you thought. 
so it's nothing to do with the animated series or any new continuity. The only beneficial part of Rebirth is that we establish who or what the yellow energy is yeah. all about. Yeah. Um, so if you're into the backstory and if you want to know what happened as, like, why Hal Jordan had been dead for a while, you're welcome to go for it. I, might people a great like book. angry with him as well. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. well, I would say I read Rebirth... Um, just you know, I, I, it was just in the, in the library. I thought I don't know anything about Green Lantern. I'll just give it a try. I enjoyed it, but I didn't. And I had to do a lot of research into mm. what had gone before because yeah. there isn't. There's a little bit of an explanation, but there's not very much. And so it's a lot of it's kind of out of context. You kind of have to go. Okay, don't quite get that, but okay, he was dead and now he's not fine. And we'll just ignore why, because um, you know, I don't, obviously I hadn't read everything before that. There's a lot that leads up to it. Um, and so there's a little bit of a uh, an abrupt start to it, because it's kind of, boom, okay, here we are. And, and having now watched the, uh, the animated series and the movie and done a bit more research, I know a lot more of that backstory. And then I, I read it a second time, and it made a lot more sense. But if, you've, if, you, uh, if you do read that one... Having not read any of the other comics, you, you you will be probably a little bit confused by a number of things. Plus the fact that there's so many characters in it that uh, just keep popping up from various places that uh, that in some cases I didn't know who, who they were at all. It's uh, you know, a whole bunch of various Green Lantern Corps um, members. All, all the ones from Earth are there at one point, and it's like, well, who are all these people? See, I <laughs> you have to do a little bit of research to work out who, who all these people are. I say, who the fuck's Guy Gardner? <laughs> <laughs> He's a dick, isn't he? But I've no idea who he is. <laughs> yeah, I'm your replacement on Earth, buddy. Welcome back. <laughs> that was pretty good. Um, I kind of liked it because it, it, it reminded me of Quiver. Because it basically it's a, it's a major character coming back from a long death that they've been yeah. a part of. Yeah. Um, well, and that's it. I mean, the fact that Green Arrow was in it was, was yeah. um, a large part of why I was engaged in it. But, and that uh, Hal was part of Quiver and sort of ushering Ollie back into yeah. the middle of the living. Yeah, exactly. It was... Yeah. It was and, I mean, it, it's good. It's definitely worth reading. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a good book and it looks, the art's great and, and it's, it's not so entrenched in, in the, the back, the story that's gone before that it, you can't read it without knowing what's going on. But it, you would probably want to do perhaps a bit of research, just, you know, read, just read a Wikipedia page about the Green Lantern stuff before that point and then, and then go with that because it'll, there's a number of things that aren't explained in the book that are, not essential, but are helpful to understanding the story. Yeah. So basically, think, it requires almost as much reading for, to, to explain it than, than <laughs> yeah. it would explain. If you're coming off of the Lantern animated series, the place to go next would, I think, you're right, Alex, I think the War of, uh, the Sinister Core War is a great place to start, and then head right over toward the Blackest Night. With an asterisk, Sharon, you read the Sinister Core War today and just finished. Yeah. And? Um, I didn't like it anywhere near as much as Blackest Night, but it was significantly better than Rebirth. Right. Okay. So, uh, but basically, we, there's we, a lot of action. The yellow energy. There is a lot of action, and uh, as we have discussed on many occasions, um, consistent and sustained action scenes are basically the easiest way to make me lose interest in a story. Mm. Um, but it, there's enough... Um, plot significant dialogue peppered through it and i think because i'd already read blackest night so when they're talking about these things i'm not speculating i know what they link into and i can see the thread that's running through it um and i think that helped a great deal so sinestro core war is uh, sinestro gets his call together and they wage war on the entire universe (laughs) 
and they attack Earth because Earth is very important again. And then there's a big fight, and then there's a lot of stuff to do with Superman Prime and loads of characters who you won't know much. And that did get a bit confusing, actually. But I will say that with regards to sorry, Superboy Prime. um, With regards to the whole thing about um, it focusing on Earth, they do come up with what I thought was a very good reason why it was all focused on Earth. Um, and there's some use of certain terminology that kind of really pricked my ears up and, and caught my attention. So it's, it's very well written. It's very well scripted um, in terms of using conversation and using dialogue to uh, make plot points in quite a subtle way. Alex, why would it be a good idea to read Sinestro Cold War? I think because it's it's better to go into something like The Blackest Night, which, granted, you could go into cold and pick up what's going on. Both Sharon I, I, and I did. Yeah, absolutely. I did, and I loved it. You can it, absolutely so. do that. Uh, I like the idea of seeing a little bit more of the yellow power because we've really only seen in the animated series. Mm. Uh, we haven't seen any yellow, have we? No, Sinestro is in there, but th- th- he was not but so much an afterthought, but they, were, they weren't even going to include him in the main series. But he's voiced by Ron Perlman, and it's a really great tense episode that I was like, I don't even know what's going on. Not in a kind of like confusing way, but it was some very careful, very clever uh, thriller um, pieces being laid down. It felt like the thing at one point in a good Ooh, it way. Really did. Ooh, yeah. It did. Yeah. The paranoia side of things. Yeah. But like, you know, we didn't get really any exposure into what the yellow energy is yeah. about in there. We saw the yellow crystals mm. from the series, but the Sinestro core war can give you an idea of what's happening there and kind of where, where Sinestro goes with it because you get all kinds of motivation from him in that one. But if you want to just dive in, to the comics, I gotta say, Blackest Nights the way to the way to go. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, it certainly worked for Sharon and I. Um, Matt and Jerome, anything on the ones we've already spoken of? I don't. I want to give you a chance to talk. If you, I, I'd recommend going for Blackest Night. That's where I started personally, and it ties in very well with the animated mm-hmm. series. Matt, uh, the only the only Green Lantern comic I've really I've read is um, is Rebirth. So oh, you haven't read Blackest Night has- yet. Not yet, no. no. Further reading, young man. It's worth it. One of the core aspects of Blackest Night is that, and this was actually part of uh, my Superman um, podcasts, the notion that killing Superman and then bringing him back killed death, and then all of these characters, especially in the DC Mm. Universe, kept being killed and then brought back. Blackest Night goes some way to explaining why that actually might have been a predetermined, predestined, and even orchestrated series of unfortunate events. Um, I'm not really going to go into it much more than that, but when I first started reading it, having especially having read uh, Identity Crisis and loved the uh, characters introduced there, I thought, what is going on here? Because they introduce characters that you love as horrible wraith-like black zombies, the Black Lanterns. And they are resurrected superheroes, and they're... Ca- it's not just that they're, um, they're, like, sort of mindless zombies, but just like in the horrible-to-read Marvel zombies, they're sort of cackling, hate-filled versions of the characters you love. But it becomes apparent halfway through that, and this isn't really spoiling anything because it'll actually keep you reading, whereas you otherwise might abandon the thing. Uh, it, they're, they're, 
it's not them. It's it's not their essence. If they are using the shells of these characters to evoke emotions in the living. Mm-hmm. And the whole thing builds up to this enormous war. So basically you've got thousands of DC zombies and everyone who's ever been dead in the DC universe basically comes back as a zombie. And everyone who was living but was previously dead becomes a zombie. <laughs> it's this just enormous zombie war and it's it it it, it takes on a, a scale so huge that by the end they're like, right, there's six billion lanterns here versus six billion zombies. Uh, to a point where I don't think you can actually get much bigger than this. Um, and yeah, we won't spoil the ending, but uh, it's there's a lot more involved in it than what we've been talking about and a lot more sort of moments you'll be like, ah, even if you don't know much about uh, the DC Universe. So it's an intriguing and uh, inexpensive book to get hold of on Kindle at least. I think it was like five five quid, six quid. I don't know, you paid for it. <laughs> okay. I use dollars here. Of course, yes. Uh, <laughs> Blackest Night. And this was of course a massive tie in thing, so if you want to read the seventy eight other editions of it <laughs> with, a, <laughs> with other uh, other tie in issues with this is yeah. what I hate about both D C and Marvel. Mm. It'd be nice to just be able to boil it down to a one single six issue limited series, like with Flashpoint. But like with Flashpoint, there's a eighty five other books attached. Oh to Oh my it gosh! You time. know what? I, I I bought everything for Blackest Night. I still have it. I probably won't get rid of it for years because I love it. And it's there's all this depth. And the DC universe is my comic universe. Mm. It's just it's it's where my favorite superheroes are. But. The Flashpoint one, it just didn't do it for me. I was collecting all of those as well. It was when I was still really into comics. But man, I just, there was all this extra stuff that just felt like pasted on because they could Hmm. put it in there. But with Blackest Night, I felt more connected to the external stuff for some reason. I'm not sure why. I think it might have just been because... It could just be the fact that you have a Green Lantern symbol tattooed on your arm and not a Flash symbol. Something to do with it. Uh, it's uh, £6.87 for the Kindle edition of Blackest Night, and uh, it's not going to be too much to buy them on Comixology if that is your preferred method. Or the paperback is uh, £12.15. Alex, I kind of yes. want to give you a final note on why you love Green Lantern, because you, you, you made yourself a Green Lantern car. I did, you know, and I, I've been scouring for a picture of that to share with you guys. I can't find one anywhere. How about your your uh, tattoo? Can you send us one of them? I I can do. That. Just use your iPhone right now. Tattoo. I absolutely am going to do <laughs> that. Photograph yourself and send it on. And just explain to the people at home why this resonates so much with you. Why you would adorn your body with it in a way that I've been considering getting the the earth, fire, water, air um, symbols from Avatar put Ooh, on my that wrist. Would be fun. My next one is going to be a Star Wars tattoo, but the Green Lantern, let me, because I can't get a good angle on this one. Wife! <laughs> you just came home. Honey! Photograph me! I need a picture! Notice no, he starts out, wife! And then, as you realize, she can probably hear him now, he's, honey! <laughs> no, the wife thing makes her laugh. Either that or makes her ignore me. So, <laughs> I will talk first and then I'll send a picture. Um, the reason, the main thing I love about the Green Lantern is the idea of spreading the, spreading light 
throughout the galaxy. And, and ideally that light in this universe is about peace and justice and, and, and right, uh, against the, the darkness of what's, what's wrong in there. Um, sometimes the light is just lasers taking down bad guys, but that's like peace and justice. Um, it's, it's just, it's rich and it's deep. And I mentioned, you know, and we mentioned earlier that it's this good mix of Star Wars sci-fi fun with like enough backstory that feels like Lord of the Rings. And I don't know, the depth is there that I just, it grabs me and it just, it just held on to me so well. And it wasn't even because, oh, I found Green Lantern and just went for it. It was an accident how I got into it. I, um, I just like superheroes and one of my friends was into racing stripes on his car. And so we, we were trying to put some stripes on my car and it, it happened to be green at the time. So I was like, uh, Green Lantern's a superhero. Let's do, let's do Green Lantern. And then I started reading the comics and then it was more of a connection there and eventually got the tattoo, uh, as well. Which, if I can find a... Actually, you know what? I might even just have a picture on my computer saved. It, I got the blacklight ink done on there, too. So ah, it, nice. It, it glows under blacklight, and it makes me happy. Oh, my God. I'm going to need to ride in this car at some point in my life. <laughs> <laughs> the car... No, the car is, is long gone. It was a Ford oh, Taurus. I'm looking at... Uh, I just Googled Green Lantern car. I put Ford <laughs> Taurus Green Lantern. <laughs> Oh my gosh, that's my car. I was just about to say, <laughs> what are the odds that this is your car and somebody just posted it? Where did you find that? I typed Google. in four Taurus Green Lantern. There can't be that <laughs> many of them. That's fantastic <laughs> and a little creepy. <laughs> Could someone put the link back in the chat box, please? Because I can't see it. Just, uh, just Google Green Lantern Ford Taurus. There's only one in the world. <laughs> and it was Alex's. I, I don't know how to round this one up. I think uh, th- that'll do. We are done now, folks. Um, that'll do, Kilowog. That'll, that'll do, do Kilowog. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. If anything, you're chewy. Uh, okay. Watch the animated series. Yeah, watch the animated series. Mm-hmm. And then after that, um, maybe Blackest Night's the next way to go. And then come back to the uh, forum and confer because uh, we want – I there are a few people on the forum who have mentioned this. But so few that when I first started watching it, it was like no one had ever recommended it to me. And I know a couple of people did mention that it was good. And I'm so sorry that I didn't pay attention to you guys. And you were there first. But I'm saying it now on this podcast. <laughs> no, I had ignored it originally because I thought it was going to be yeah, too I was much the one of a got show. You, into this. you put great yeah. lessons on your body and you still wouldn't watch the show. I, I'll, uh, in my defense, I put the tattoo on my body before I saw the Ryan Reynolds movie. True. And you're like, oh my god, what have I done? Cut to shot of Alex in the shower crying and scrubbing and scrubbing. <laughs> it won't come off. <laughs> yeah, season one, part one will set you back a whopping eleven pounds to import if you just import it from the Amazon sellers. And season one, part two, about the same. You can also. Uh, get hold of the Green Lantern, the animated series, uh, by Frederick Reedman, uh, the uh, incredible theme tune. And, uh, the, just that the whole, the, 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 uh, score, which is actually in two parts. Uh, you can get that on iTunes or, uh, Amazon as well. And there we shall leave you. 
you know what? Get back to us with, uh, with whether you like this and, uh, you know, w- what this has uh, led you to um, checking out in, in between times. If any of you want to watch the Ryan Reynolds movie, so be it. We, we're not promising anything. Don't Just blame us. Just take some popcorn with you. It's not our fault. It's cheap chocolate carved into the shape of the bug. So all I can say. So we're going to leave you now. Thank you very much, gentlemen. Uh, thank you to uh, Matt Ramsey of Do Try This At Home. Pleasure. Sharon Shaw of Do Try This At Home. Thank you very much for having me. Jerome McIntosh of Gonzo Planet. No worries. And Alex Eating of Plaid Hat Games. It has been an incredibly fantastic experience. Thank you so much for coming on. I really hope you come on for some more stuff uh, coming up. Just just tell me oh, what I'll you like. I'll show ideas at you and we'll, we'll see what happens. Awesome. Beware my power. Actually, uh, while we're here, Alex, can, can you give us the oath? <clears throat> in brightest Bright day, day, in blackest black night, night, no, no evil, evil shall escape my sight. sight. Let those who worship evil's might beware my power. Green lanterns, light. Ooh, shivers. (laughs) Nice. Nice. Thank you. You were foolishly brave today. Yeah. Oh, back at you. Nice job saving me. Thanks. And thank you, Aya. We'd all be feeling pretty cramped right now if it wasn't for you coming out of your shell like that. Yes, like a hatchling from an egg. I'm not done. It was dangerous to up and leave your post. We need to set a few parameters, young lady. A green lantern protects innocent life, even at the risk of their own, correct? Wait, wait a minute. Aya, you do understand you're a NAVCOM, not a Green Lantern, right? You can't be a GL. Why not? Well, first off, the ring's got a big U. Why? Help me out. Oh, no, no, I want to hear this. Red? Leave me out of it. Look, Green Lantern's positively got to have a physical body to, to walk around and interact with people, not a bunch of creepy bugs. Parameters set. But maybe you could say the Superman animated series was a slightly different. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they are. Just go, go remember, since they've done the new 52, certain things have changed for them. True. Yeah. Wonder Woman has pants now. Yeah. Like, that's a thing. Yeah. But it depends on what action figure you buy. Sometimes she is panted, sometimes she is not. That's okay. what you do with the action figure after you get it. <laughs> <laughs> Some of them are really nice, but I don't think I'd shag an action figure. Um, okay. <laughs> I'm glad you made that clear. <laughs> Please tell me you were recording that. I was. <laughs> All right, good. Okay, I'm going to send you a little image here, and uh, even though we don't get action figures um, exactly, these are awesome. I think it would be better rather than to throw the baby out with the bathwater and say no more Reynolds in any DC movies ever or to cast him as the Flash who by the way (laughs) Chris Pine 
is my number one casting for either Barry Allen or Wally West. They're going to have oh, yeah. it's more like more fun, but uh, yeah, the, he's got that twinkle in his eye. He could make the fun hero that we want to to see there. More on that in our Flash dedicated episode. Where could we put Carl Urban? Hmm. We want him in there somewhere, but where? Uh, yeah. As long as he's in there somewhere, we just need to think who. You know what? He could make a really kicking Aquaman. He could, yeah. Mm. He's, I mean, basically playing Aomer. Yeah. What business does an elf, a man, and a dwarf have in the have bottom of the sea? Speak publicly. <laughs> okay, quick question. What business does a bat have at the bottom of the sea? <laughs> In fearful day, in raging night, with strong hearts full, our souls ignite. When all seems lost in the war of light, look to the stars, for hope burns bright. <laughs>